Okay, we're at our weekly Bible study for um, October 17th, or November, <laughs> November 19th, 2006. And we were just talking about, uh, yesterday there was a uh, plane up in the sky that um, was doing the, uh, were they right in the sky with the, uh, I, I don't know exactly how they do it, they use some type of chemtrail that they, that they use, and that's a whole other rabbit trail. But um, he was writing all this stuff up in the sky, uh, Jesus loves you, and uh, turn to Jesus, and uh, uh, I, I guess there at the end you said there was Jesus.net, they were, or turn, turn to Jesus.net, okay, and um, uh, I thought to myself, I said, this is just the typical message of what you're getting in the churches, and it's all that Jesus' love, and that's it, there's no, there's no balance, there's no judgment, there's no nothing, it's just Jesus' love, and that's it. And the world loves that because they can look up at a sky like that and, and say, oh, what's, what's, you know, great. Jesus loves me. I don't even got to go to church. I don't got to do nothing. I don't got to read that Bible. Jesus loves me. He loves me no matter what I do. I can live like the devil. But the Bible says, if we, um, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into some current events today, but I just want to touch on this. Um, the Bible says in Galatians verse 16, it says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the only way to really walk in the Spirit is if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. You can't, so, prerequisite for walking in the Spirit, number one, is getting saved. You've got to be saved, because the Spirit here is capitalized. That word is capitalized. S. It says, walk in the Spirit, capital S. So we know we're talking about the Holy Spirit. If it was just referring to our Spirit that lives inside us, it would be a small case S. But because it says Spirit, we know it's referring to the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come upon a man, like David and these types of things, but it what, didn't dwell within them like it does us now, because now we are the temple of God. The Bible says that. It says, ye are the temple of God, which temple are ye? Um, and the temple is holy. So, in order to walk in the Spirit, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh... Number one, you got to be saved. You got to be saved, and then it says, "For the spirit lusteth against the, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, capital S, and the spirit against the flesh." So it's this war that you've got. Which one wins out is the one you feed the most. Okay, if you're, you know, praying in the Word of God, living holy, living right, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do there. Uh, you're 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 sowing toward the spirit. And then you can sow toward the flesh. So if you're constantly sowing toward the flesh, then the flesh is going to have the preeminence over the Holy Spirit. Uh, not to say that it has the preeminence, but it will. Um, you give it that right. You, you willfully give it that right. So it says, And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So, um, being led of the Spirit... Again, Jesus Christ was a better covenant, and the old covenant was, was done away with, not to say that it was ever evil, and the Bible says it's not evil, it was for our, um, that we would know sin, the old law. But if we be led of the Spirit, we're not under the law. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's another word for lustful, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, um, emulations, Wrath, strife, seditions, um, and heresies, envyings, murders, 
and drunkenness and revilings, and such like of the which before I have told you, and I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't believe that means that if a, if a Christian lapses back into, into one of these things for, you know, like we all sin, okay? There is none that are righteous, no, not one. Even if the Holy Spirit's living inside us, we're not walking around in sinless perfection. It's just not happened. Paul was probably the closest one in the Bible that I could ever see that maybe came close to that. Um, but even Paul said, oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, I am the greatest of all sinners. You know, these types of statements that he made. So, I kind of take a little bit of comfort in that, because if Paul said it, you know, it doesn't give me a license to sin, but, you know, I, I take comfort in that. So, it says, it says, they that do these, such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that guy writing up in the sky, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, and they, you got people up there saying, oh, Jesus loves me, and they drive on, and, they, and that's what they would go to the church in here probably too. They live in their sin, and they die, and they go to hell. Well, I said that little prayer. Will you live like the devil? Number one, you never really got saved, because you just never did. You never really trusted in Jesus Christ. You, you wanted to have it your way was really the bottom line. And you said that prayer, but you said it because you wanted your cake and then to eat it too. You, you, wanted, you wanted everything. You wanted to be able to live like the devil and go to heaven, which is what most people want to do. I want to live like the devil and go to hell, heaven. But you can't do that. And then it says in the next verse, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Uh, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So, that's one of the, um, the self-checks that we have to do as a Christian. Um, have we crucified our own flesh with the affections and lusts? The only way you can crucify the flesh is through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through, through drawing close to the Lord. And again, I don't want to say this in such a way that, that I'm saying you've got to live in... Because I, I believe there's certain pastors out there that go too far and they put too much, more than a person could even bear... On, on another person as far as, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. Well, all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And we should strive for perfection. But the only time we're really going to be, really truly live in pure perfection is when we're on the other side, when we're in heaven, you know. Um, I try to have a balance with what I put forth with this type of doctrine because you don't want to, you don't want to get, you could you could frustrate somebody so easy and get them so discouraged so quick because they could say, how could I ever attain to these things? How could I ever... And you can't. But I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Um, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Um, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And that's Jeremiah 33.3. Um, and the one before that was 32, verse 28. Um, so, you you have to do it through the Lord. And I think, then it comes back to the fact where you realize, I can't do this apart from the Lord. Then you have to humble yourself and admit to the Lord you can't do it and ask Him um, to help you be able to attain unto these things. And I think it's, it's a big cycle of realizing our incapability of doing this in and of ourselves, turning to the Lord, Asking Him, uh, through the Holy Spirit, to help you do these things. If the Holy Spirit lives inside you, then He's perfectly capable of helping us. And so, that's the way it really has to be done. It's it's, it's just really, truly a reliance on the Lord. It's it's what the Lord does through you. It's not you. 
That's what the Lord does through you. Uh, he said in John 15, it says, I am the branch and you are the vine, or I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So, again, then it turns back to, oh, I have to totally rely on Jesus Christ. have to do that. That's the only way I can accomplish these things. And I'm not saying this in such a way where I'm telling you I have totally attained all this and I'm walking in sinless perfection because that's not the case at all. Um, I'm as convicted by these things when I read them as, as, as anyone would be. So, um, Anyway, I'm going to go over some uh, current events. These are some ones from David uh, Bay. He came out with this week. Um, I really didn't do any last week at all. Of course, I, I didn't get it at that on tape last week. <laughs> I know. Um, this is um, from David Bay at Cutting Edge. He says, All the warnings of fundamental Bible-believing Christians over the, next, over the past decades, including Cutting Edge, that the war was heading into the next Holocaust have now become devastatingly true. The Anglican Church of England has now publicly stated that certain infants should be killed soon after they're born. They've just come out with this public statement. So, um, this is entitled from the Daily Mail, uh, Outrage as the Church of England backs calls for severely disabled babies to be killed at birth. There was a guy commentating on this the other day, and he was just a newscaster up on like CNN. I walked in there, uh, my mom was watching this, and he was basically saying, you know, what's next? I mean, he was so, he was so against this, and he was a secular newscaster. The secular newscasters are rebuking the church for being, for, for being barbarians and, and, and for putting out ungodly doctrine. They're more godly than the, than, than the Anglican church. Um, well, the Anglican church, what it is, is, is it's, it's a whitened sepulcher full of dead man's bones, like, the, like Jesus talks about. Um, it, it's, it's like a whitewashed tomb. It looks good on the outside, but inside it's full of death. And that's what you get, the fruit of death. You know, that's, that's, why they would do, that's why they would say something like this. The Church of England has broken with traditional dogma by calling for doctors to be allowed to let sick newborn babies die. Christians have long argued that life should be preserved at all costs, but a bishop representing the national church has now sparked controversy by arguing that there are occasions when it is compassionate to leave a severely disabled infant child to die. Bishop of South Quark, Tom Butler, who is the vice chair of Church of England's mission, has also argued that the high financial cost of keeping desperately ill babies alive should be a factor in life or death decisions. In the masterful book, The Nazi Holocaust, Nazi doctors, um, John Lifton spent considerable time demonstrating that the high financial cost of keeping undesirables alive was no significant burden on the wartime Germany, as all their resources required to sustain the people um, Oh, as the resources required to sustain these people was truly minuscule, even for a country at war. In other words, he was trying to argue that that um, um, the, that it's not a significant burden on society to keep to to let these people live. Um, but see, Nazi Germany was the best example you you have in recent memory that I know of because of their what they they had what they call a eugenics program, and what eugenics means, I believe that word means is racial hygiene. You ever hear that word, racial hygiene? Well, that would be like saying, well, we got these uh, Polish people over here, and they're, they're undesirables. They're, 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 uh. See, what they did is they bought in all Charles Darwin's theories. Hitler was a big follower of Charles Darwin. And um, 
when you buy into evolution and Charles Darwin, which has no basis in science at all, it's, it's, it's the most asinine, stupid thing that we evolved from a rock, which is essentially what you want to boil. I always boil it back to, so you think that we evolved from a rock, Mr. Evolutionist. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's so asinine and ludicrous to think that something that was dead could give life. How does that work? Well, it just did. No, it doesn't. You just don't want to have to answer to a holy God. You don't want to have to believe that there was a creator that created you. You might have to answer to him when this is all said and done. That's the bottom line. That's why they will, they will just strive to cling to some asinine theory, which they term as scientific, like evolution. It's ridiculous. So, Hitler had this, Hitler was a big follower of Charles Darwin, among other occultists. And, um, he, uh, he put into this racial hygiene, this whole eugenics program, where they were, um, forgetting what they start. they started with, like, the, I don't know, um, they, they highly encouraged breeding among their racially pure Aryan race. They actually had, um, they actually had these baby farms where they would bring the SS men in and the SS, the SS were the upper echelon. They were, they were the front line in Hitler's, but they were the ones that had to go through all these, these, um, they checked their genealogy like so many hundreds of years back. They had to pass all these things. They couldn't have a blemish on their body. They had to be of a certain height requirement, certain weight requirement. Um, they had to be of a good physical stature. They, uh, had to have that, they had to have what they termed as Aryan blood running through their veins. Blue eyes, blondish hair. They had to have that because they believed that was the race that was going to rule the world. They believed that, that was, they were going to evolve into this thing called the fifth root race, which was this super race of human beings that would rule the world with an iron fist, and Hitler was their savior to lead them into this. This is what they really believed, okay? I've seen so many document, documentaries on Hitler. Um, and so, what, but see, what that also entailed is getting rid of all the racially unacceptable, which they deem racially. Now, because of good old Charles Darwin, they believed that the, that the Jews were the most inferior of all races. They believed that the Jews, and this is how they justify killing them all, they believed the Jews were one step above the apes. That's because they looked at their skulls and they did all these, you know, checking them out and they're this way and they're that way and they have these physical attributes and it was just an excuse for them to kill them. And then above them were like the Polish people and these other people, and they had to be eliminated. What they would do when they went into these other countries is they would identify those that, who, who they deemed had Aryan blood in them, and they would get them. They would recruit them, or they'd die. And they would have a choice. In fact, when they went to uh, Norway, because see, Norway has a lot of very, very tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. Norway and Sweden and them. And they actually uh, had a whole SS wing of Norwegian troops. And they, a lot of people don't know that, that they actually recruited people from other countries when they would go into them. They have these guys from other countries. And you'd think they'd all have to be German. That wasn't the case at all. They were looking at the bloodline, which is what you see very, very common for the occultists to really emphasize is the bloodline. They, we've got to have this pure bloodline that's going to rule the world. And what they would do is they, they started killing the, uh, the uh, mentally severe, uh, mentally handicapped uh, they started gassing them. Um, I think that's had the primary way the scientists killed them. And this is how they developed the gas chambers, through this early experimentation on their own people. That's how they did it. Um, and they had all this propaganda out there that, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, I said all that to say this. That's what we're coming back to. 
in the day and time we're living in. Guaranteed. We're coming back to that to a certain extent. Um, if the New World Order has openly stated that in order for the world to be sustainable, and they've done this, at bare minimum, this is on the Georgia Guidestones, which is like the American Stonehenge up in Georgia, in order for the world to be sustainable, we have to reduce world population to 500 million. Well, 500 million is a over a 90% reduction of population right now. So that's a lot of people. Um, how are they going to accomplish that? I mean, this is really even more aggressive than what Hitler put forth. They're going to do it in a different way, I think. I don't think it's going to be in the exact same way that Hitler tried it. Um, but that's this is why a lot of the, the stuff that's that um, they're trying to kill us through, what they're putting in the foods, the air, the water, these types of things, the, the uh, products that we work with, the chemicals. And it's a fact that they're aggressively trying to do this even right now. And also to create a sick population because a sick population is very easy to control. So, um, in, in, in fact, in the, Nether in the Netherlands, in Holland right now, they've already got a lot of this, this stuff where they're, where they're putting elderly people, they're putting them out of their, quote, misery. They're killing, um, I believe they're, they're, uh, they've got things in the books right now where they're actually killing um, quite a few of the babies that are being born if they're not, you know, desirable, who, who they deem. And where does it end? Because you got guys then acting as gods. Well, I say you live and I say you die. That, that's not the kind of power anybody should have, really. Because that kind of power will corrupt any... I mean, anybody that would want to be in that position is corrupt anyway. But if you, if you leave somebody in that position, it will even further corrupt them. That's why our ju judicial system in America is so messed up, because you have judges that serve without ever having to worry about get in the boot. They don't get reelected. They have whatever lifetime uh, once they get elected. Well, that's that's basically like saying that, okay, now you're judge, you can do whatever you want. There's gonna, I mean, unless you really, really mess up, there's going to really be no price to pay. That's what's wrong, what, wrong with our judicial system in this country. Um, I just faced uh, a judge this last week. I went up to... Uh, Tampa, I had to testify on a criminal case on Monday. Um, that, that was more fun than a barrel full of monkeys, let me tell you. It was fun. What? It wasn't fun. Well, I, I went to this place this week, and um, it was uh, Middle District Court of Tampa. It was a federal federal criminal case. I was on the top floor of the building, 15th floor. What a view. Overlooking Tampa. And the first thing that struck me that was so weird is I got up there and there was all these buzzards circling everywhere. They were. They were everywhere. Look down, I'm like, what are all these buzzards doing in downtown Tampa? Circling everywhere. No, it was more than that. I, I think there was some kind of, there was a spiritual dynamic. I look over at the building next to me, this whole decrepit building that really should have been imploded. And at the very, very top, of each, it was three, I don't know, it was like three columns wide, this big building, and at the, at the top of each one was this, was this skull demon face. I couldn't believe it. I mean, that was old architecture, but I had to wait six and a half hours to finally get in there to testify. 
And I mean, I go in there and I finally get in there, you know, and um, it was pretty heavy duty. There was a 12 penny jury in front of me. There was the judge on my right. There was the all these people on the left. And my the attorney that subpoenaed me came there and, and was questioning me. And that was okay, those lines of question. He was trying to establish my credibility and these types of things. And then the prosecuting attorney came. So he started grilling me for about a half hour at least. And he was trying to discredit me and rip me apart. And I just, I just stood my ground. I, just, I was very dogmatic. Uh, what it boiled down to is I turned this crooked attorney in. And um, he was staging accidents and paying for patients and doing all these things that were totally obvious. But the attorney has to act, make me act like, like I was paranoid and I was totally presumptuous. And it was as though, oh, I guess I was just paranoid and presumptuous when we had you know, carloads of Haitian patients in rental cars with full insurance. They would go out and get rental cars, get the max amount of insurance they would get, and they would get in accidents with each other. That was all in my head, though, I guess. That's what he tried to do to the jury. And I just came right back at him. And um, praise the Lord, he got me through that. Um, that was, well, that was one of the most intense things I've ever been through. But God will do these things... Um, Ever since for about three and a half years when I had that very, very dark time set in motion in my life, God's had put me in positions where I've had to deal with some really heavy-duty things, particularly in regard to this government that we live in. And um, um, it's, I believe part of it is, is called the refiner's fire. Because when you go through those things, um, and you get on the other side and God delivers you through them, it makes you it makes your faith stronger, and you've already been there before. So if you see it again, you're not going to be in total shock. Because if you never go through things like these, then then and and you face them for the first time, you're not going to face them as well as if you had been through this before, done it before. You've been there. You've been in that battle before. You know how to fight this battle. It makes you tougher. Really is what it does. I think um, if if you're doing it through the Lord. So anyway. Um, I just figured I'd, I'd let you know that how that all went. That was relief to get it over with. So these, um, uh, getting back to this article, it says, since this is the case, how much more tenuous is the high financial cost of keeping desperately ill babies alive? Mentally and emotion, mental and emotional barriers against wanton killing of undesirable people are being removed, thus making the next Holocaust inevitable. Uh, just in time for the Antichrist to arise. So see, what this is, is, is if we really look at the big picture, it's a mindset. They're trying to get us into a mindset of, okay, they need to die. Now, do you think that's what the video games are doing to the kids? I was in there yesterday. At Taylor, Taylor had a birthday party at the, at the uh, local ice skating thing. And um, she, uh, there was this game in there that was called, I don't know, Doom something, Death, or I don't know. And it had these like toxic waste cans as part of the game that were like were built into the game. And I went over there and looked, and it was and what it was is it was a recreation of uh, you ever heard of that horse show Night of the Living Dead, where all the, these corpses come back to life and they come out of the grave, and the, and the only thing that they can feed off to give them any relief is human brains. That's what this game was. They they and and, and so you got all these corpses coming. What Taylor? Okay, Don't interrupt me. I didn't play the game. I played the game where. So. This game was there, and it was like, I went over and looked at it, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. 
So, because I can remember watching Night of the Living Dead before I was saved, and it was just a stupidly horrific movie. I mean, but they're trying to get us conditioned to the most heavy-duty death culture, death scenario, kill or be killed, um, eliminate the undesirables. This is the brainwashing, because that's, that's going to be very, very important for the Antichrist to rise to power. He can't rise to power unless the society has degraded to a certain point. He couldn't arise in a Christian society. The Antichrist could not arise in the, in the 1850s or in the 1800s in this country. There's no way. They would not have accepted him. They would have identified him for what he was. But see, now, we're, the, the world's in such gross, abject sin that they can't identify anymore. They, they've lost their discernment. They have no wisdom. They have no knowledge or true understanding. It's all perverted and warped and twisted. So that's what the, the Antichrist is trying to do to get us to, uh, or really Satan is trying to do, to get us to a point where we can accept the Antichrist. Um, so, that being said, it says, um, the shock of this new policy from the church has caused outrage among the disabled. A spokesman for the United Kingdom, uh, Disabled People's Council, um, said, how can a church of England say that the Christian compassion includes killing of disabled babies, even through the withdrawing or withholding of treatment, or by active euthanasia. It is not for doctors, or indeed anyone else, to determine whether a baby's life is worthwhile simply on the grounds of impairment on health conditions. Now, the guy that was commenting on this on the news, now this is secular news in America, this guy, he sounded like a halfway decent person at least, he said, let me tell you something, and he was outraged over this. we got a secular man who's not even a Christian outraged over this. And he says, he says, we, my little girl, I, I think it was, um, she, uh, she was severely disabled at birth, and it was, we raised her, and, and we had to do all these different things in order to raise her, and he said it was very, very challenging, he says, but it was also one of the biggest blessings we'd ever, we'd ever lived through, and he says, you know something, now she's in college, doing very well. So he says, don't tell me that, that, these, that these children can't grow up to be active, productive members of... You know, it was just... Um, this man was more noble than, than, than what's going on in 95% of the churches now. And that's what struck me about it. He had more um, integrity and was a better person. And he's going to hell, most likely. Because, he, you know, that's not, a, that's not a matter of integrity or, 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 or being a good person. That's a matter of, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you totally trusting in His shed blood? Okay, so I don't want to confuse the two points, but it was ironic that this man had more, was, was more, uh, had more integrity than, than, I would say, 95% of the church. Um, so, the church surprise calls comes just a week after the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecological sparked fury by calling for a debate on the mercy and killing of disabled infants. Hitler and the death merchants argued along the same lines. See, this is exactly what Hitler did. The peoples of the world are now at a point where Hitler took pre-war Germany, where life and death decisions are going to be made based upon very flimsy reasons. You see, Nazi Germany, once the decision was made to begin exterminating the Jews and other undesirables, People were put to death on the reason so flimsy as, as the shape of a person's nose, as, as the shape of a person's nose. Like, like I said about the skull shapes, you know, and then it says, did that nose look Jewish? So that, I mean, it was that bad. It got that bad where they were killing people based on that. Taylor, what are you doing? 
you you can get some peppermint, okay? No more interruptions, okay? No more interruptions. Um, and food. If you guys want to ask a question, feel free. It's just I don't want Taylor interrupting. Um, the next article is entitled, Pastor Rick Warren, author and creator of Purpose Driven Churches, now showing his true colors as he promotes the one world religion. Um, the first news story shows Rick Warren is, is aiding the, in the establishment of a one world religion foretold in Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Let's just read that real quick. Revelation 13, because this is where we're going. Revelation's where we're going right now. We're, we're already, I mean, obviously I believe we're already in Revelation 3, we're the latest seen church here, but I mean, this is where we're, we're heading at a breakneck speed. 11, Revelation 13, verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spake as a dragon, and he exerciseth all power of the beast, of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth, and them which dwell therein, to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Um, and this would be the Antichrist, when he'll be supposedly deadly uh, killed, in a way, and then this wound will be seemingly miraculously healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh the fire come down from heaven in the, in the, on the earth in the sight of men. Well, didn't Jesus say, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after sign, and no sign shall be given it but under the sign of Jonas? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, in other words, you don't want to seek after a sign, because Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now, he did do a lot of signs before the Jews, because that's what they were used to. Okay, but it's still not something that we want to base, because you know how many people base their eternal salvation on a sign? Do you know how many shows are up on, like, the thing right now? Psychic Detective. Oh, the psychic found this court case out, or, or, or found, knew about this thing. Well, why? Because the familiar spirits, which are called devils, communicated these to her familiar spirits, so she knew where this dead body was, and the devil can get glory for it? Do you think the devil's not going to do that all day long as long as he has willing receptacles to communicate through witchcraft? He's going to do it all day long! And you know what he's doing? He's laughing all the way to the... I, I, how, how can you say? He's, he's laughing all the way to the... Um, to the pit of hell. To the... Um, because these people are going to hell based on... on some one thing they had this experience with in their life that they termed was real. Well, it was right. I mean, she she read my palm, and it, and it came to pass. And I'm never going to believe in nothing else, because I know that was real. I, I can't... This Bible, it, or they're just words to me. I would rather trust in that palm reading. And, you know, deep down, I really don't want to answer to a holy God either. <laughs> if the truth be known, if God were allowed to peer into, into those people's hearts, what it really is, is they're looking for any excuse so they don't have to answer to a holy God. That's it. That's really why they want... That's why they'll go to the to the to these gigantic extents to believe these cockamamie stories. You know? Um, that's why the occult is so dangerous. Because there's an element of truth that, 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 that happens that they suck you in with. Because there is benefit. There is power. And there, there are things you can derive from being in the occult. There's no doubt about it. And they can prove that to a certain extent. And the God ain't going to let them rule the world. But they could prove it to a certain extent, and um, most people will fall into that hook, line, and sinker. So, um, 
it says that he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. Wow, he's going to deceive by miracles. Hmm, I wonder if that's what Benny Hinn's doing. What about these charismanias? You know, what about that? Um, I don't think there's much, whole lot of miracles going on anyway, to be quite honest with you. And, but, but a lot of them, um, if they experience a miracle in their own life, you know, um, if that miracle doesn't directly lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ, to His shed blood, to fear of God, if it, if it leads you anywhere other than that, then it didn't come from God. Because God's not going to do a miracle to glorify the devil. I'm just talking common sense here. Common sense. Um, so that's why I got a real big problem with all these, you know, especially Benny Hinn and them, and them types of things, because um, at, Benny Hinn's been proven a fraud anyway. He's been proven a total fraud. You know, as far as curing these things and this or that, raising the dead and all that other stuff. Uh, it, it's it's a real sad state of affairs in the church because the church itself doesn't have the discernment to know any, and they don't want to know any different. And they don't even have the right Bible, and they're in a 501c3 corporation. So everything's corrupted from the get-go. you got so many demonic spirits in that environment, how are you going to know, how are you going to see straight? I praise God that I got out of it. Because I was, I was... As radical as you could get in that stuff for a while. But God took me through it so I could, you know, help other people eventually. So it says then, um, and he, he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. How did he deceive? Primarily through the means of the miracles. That's how he does it. That's how, well, okay, do you think all of a sudden... Everything is just going to happen like that one day, and, and, and then he's going to all of a sudden start doing miracles. No, it's a, it's a progression toward that. That's where we're at right now. Well, I'm not going to say the Antichrist is right now on earth deceiving, because I don't believe he's going to rise to power or, or, or be known until essentially at the start of the tribulation, when he confirms the covenant with Israel. He may be on the earth right now. I believe he is, absolutely. And he may be, but he's not in full full swing, like he's going to be during the tribulation, is what I'm saying. So, but there's a lot of other people that are setting the stage for this to happen. There, all these TV evangelists. You've got all these apparitions of Mary now taking place. You've got the UFO sightings, great signs and wonders in the heavens. You see how this is all getting us conditioned for this? You've got the video games. You've got Harry Potter. Great signs and wonders. See? Everything's getting us set for this. And it's so obvious if you look at the big picture. But there's so few people that will receive this message. Because they would say, oh, we're fanatical for believing this. Well, no, we're not. We just believe the Bible. That's what it really boils down to. We just believe in the Bible. The Bible says it's going to happen. It says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he will come with all lying signs and wonders, the Antichrist. Hmm. Well, that's what's going to happen. Period. The Bible said it. No need to debate it. It's just going to happen. So, um... So he deceived by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. So the beast gave him the power to do it. Okay, so again, like I said, if, if it doesn't point to the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection, if it, doesn't, if, if it doesn't point to Jesus Christ being glorified, that miracle, well then, I question it right there. I really do. Um, because it says right here that the Antichrist has that power to do miracles. 
And if the Bible says, if Satan uh, be transformed into an angel of, uh, if, if Satan can come as an angel of light, it's no, it's no marvel that his ministers be transformed into angels of light. They can do this too. So it says, uh, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound, wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life under the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this image is going to be pretty heavy duty. It's going to have the ability to speak. Um, it's going to appear to have a life. Uh, that's going to be pretty impressive. You know, could you imagine fashioning an idol and all of a sudden it kind of comes alive? That's going to be pretty impressive. You know, but I mean, it's not going to... If I were there, it's not going to press me none because it's, I know what's going on. I know, oh, this is just, this is what this is. This is why they want to remove the book of Revelation in the Bible because the Re book of Revelation foretells all this and, and it exposes their plot. So the first thing they had to start doing is watering down the Word of God. And then they'll get it so watered down and everything will get so apostate they'll actually remove the book of Revelation. And they'll insert it in the, in the Bible called the Epistle of Barnabas and the Shepherd of Hermes. These are the two extra-biblical books that will be inserted in the Bible, most likely. So you're going to have a totally watered-down word. It's going to probably be like the inclusive version right now they have, where Jesus is referred to as the One. You're going to have the Book of Revelation removed, and you're going to have two extra books, the Shepherd of Hermes and the Epistle of Barnabas. And in those two books, it tells you to worship the beast, to give up to the beast, to take the mark of the beast, to kill the Christians, who are referred to as the Black Stones, in those extra-biblical books. This is all Gail Ripplinger's research that I'm going over right now. So, yeah, that's where it's coming. I mean, they can't have no King James Bible being their, their New World Order Bible. They're going to have to have some Bible. They're probably going to be, who knows what else they're going to put in there. But, anyway, um, let's see. And he, oh, do you? Oh, cool. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, in in their right hand, or or in their foreheads. So I don't believe it's going to be a little tattoo. It says it's in. And, and the King James is the only one that says in. All the other versions say on. Now, you know how I feel about the other versions. This is the only Bible version that says in. Now, you can, can you see how that one little thing could be used to deceive masses? Because if they say on, somebody could come by and say, yeah, but it says on. It has to be on the surface. It doesn't say anything about underneath the skin. Well, yeah, it does here in the King James, but you don't have the right Bible. One little word, in to on, can mean that big of a difference. That right there, that there's a lot of debate about this verse. Right now, especially. And if you're not King James, then, you know, you're, you can't, you're, you're not going to be able to argue that point a little bit further. Think about this. If it was something that was just on your hand, number one, we know it's going to be a microchip. It's, it's almost got to be because the microchip is the only technology that is in existence that you could do all your transactions with, with just a microchip. If it was a tattoo, like a lot of people are saying... How are you going to do all your financial transactions with a tattoo? How can a tattoo store all your information, which is what a microchip has to do? Taylor, I'm really getting tired of this. What? So, it can't be a tattoo 
or something placed on the hand. Not only that, here's gonna, here's, this is going to be how they get the masses to take it. They're coming out with the National ID card in May of 2008. Did you know that? National ID card's coming out in May of 2008, which is basically going to be a kind of a lot like this Mark of the Beast in a lot of ways. Because it's going to be like your driver's license and a lot of all your other personal information all rolled up into one. And it's going to be, especially if they start doing checkpoints where when you travel, you know, you have to, you know, it's like in Nazi Germany, show me your papers. Well, you have to show me your national ID card. You're going you're gonna to have to, and this is, this is bad. This is really bad. In fact, this is one of the worst things coming down the pike, as far as I can see, this national ID card. Um, because it's the forerunner to the Mark of the Beast. Because all the Mark of the Beast, what they're going to say is, is, is the national ID card can have a lot of this stuff incorporated into it. And I'm talking... And I don't know if it's going to be to this extent at the beginning, but it would be easy to incorporate all your credit cards, all of your stuff that you need to basically do transactions in the world into one card. Swipe that bad boy, and it's over. You, you can go, you can, you can go through um, wherever. Here's the problem. Here's where they're going to come to us and say there's a flaw here. It can be stolen. Yeah, it can be stolen. All my personal information's on that? That's going to create a whole other set of problems, all of its own. So they're going to say, well, guys, we got it. We got the solution. Now, they're already doing this. They're already microchipping people. Digital Angel's already doing it. Uh, Verichip Corporation that owns Digital Angel, they're already doing it. There's other companies that are, that are doing microchip technology right now. There's people that are getting microchipped up on television. There's there's whole families that are being microchipped that where they're where they basically have their whole house controlled. Where all they've got to do is is walk up to the door and, and wave their hand and, and, and the doors open and all this other stuff. Car starts, and, you know. So this is already being done and it's all conditioning. But because it can be stolen, they're going to say well, we got to have a way of securing this better. If we put it in the body, then it can't really be stolen. I mean, you're not going to be able to cut somebody's head off and, and, and have their head around and scan their head over stuff to get your, you know, in a hand, a bloody hand or whatever. And the microchips will probably be done in such a way where if you tried to try to extract them with a scalpel or something, they probably would uh, have some built-in device to make them, I don't know, self-destruct or something like that. They're going to have some way around this. So, this is not that far off. It's, it's just not. A mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. That no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, if, if, if I were Satan, and I was wanting to precondition people, I would do exactly what he's doing right now. Get us to a cashless society... Try to get us to a cashless society through the use of a lot of credit cards and checking systems. A lot of people never carry any cash at all. That's basically the only way I'll do business. And um, have everybody get used to that cashless money system. Oh, when you get paid at your job, it goes. It does what they call automatic debit, uh, where where they deposit the paycheck right into your bank account, and then you draw off the bank account, and then you have your debit card. So you have your paycheck in that debit card, and you can go and do whatever you want to do. You know what that also creates? A gigantic paper trail. They know exactly what you're doing, where you're going, where you're spending money. It's not good, I'm telling you. It's not good. Um, now, I don't want to say this in a sanctimonious way, because I still have a couple credit cards that I have to use until I get those stupid things paid down. But I am desperately trying right now to get to a point 
where I am doing as much things as I can with as little amount of paper trail as I can possibly use. Um, and I highly advise that for everybody to do that. Uh, because the less amount of paper trail they have on you, the better. So, no man might buy or sell save you have the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name, which is... Well, here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So it's not going to be a microchip with, with six, six, six on it, and that's it. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. It's going to be more to it than six, six, six. Now, if you look at any thing with a barcode on it, um, it you'll see that, there, that the barcode already has three sixes already in it. And it, they're, they're, there's two lines at the end and one in the middle, and they're both exactly the same lines, and both of those lines on that barcode mean six, or all three of the lines mean six. So it's six, six, six on every barcode we already use now anyway. Yeah, it's right right here in the book. If you look, If you look at this book, the end and the middle and the end, you'll notice they're longer, those three lines. And those are the three lines that that um, correspond with the number six. Now, there's sometimes I can even show it because there's a, there there'll be a six in here and you can see it, but it's six 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 on every on every single thing we have right now anyway. Now, most people don't know that, but that's the truth. Um, there's three three lines, and the three lines are a little bit longer than the other the other lines. See, a barcode, what that barcode is, is it's numbers. It's just numbers in different shape line, in different thicknesses of lines. And the numbers are just coded into that. So those three, the, three, uh, three lines that are slightly smaller, they all represent six. So anyway, um, this is what Rick Warren's doing now. He's, he's wanting to establish this. This is from um, Syrian Arab News Agency. Rick Warren goes to Syria, meets with the Grand Mutafi. Now, this is the guy that invented toffee. Just so you know. He's the Grand Mutafi. And he has a brother that invented Carmel. Yeah. So, anyway. It's, it's like a real... It's like a candy. Yeah. In fact, he starred on Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. He was, he was the... He was a little oompa on Willy Wonka. Sorry, I, I got a little control, out of control there. What? Yeah. If you had the barcode, is that can they track you down? Can no. You know where you're going if you bring that barcode? No, but they but what they've done recently is now they're putting what they call RFID chips in big more what they call big ticket items. Like you go to Walmart and you buy a um, VCR or a TV or anything that's a big ticket item, they'll have an RFID chip. And what does that stand for? Radio frequency identifier. Radio frequency. It actually puts out a radio frequency. This little tiny chip that's embedded in. They've got them so small now, and they've got it. You know what else they got them? They got them in like those those uh, real fancy razors that they've got now. The, the for the men, like you know the Mach 180, where you know they show like a jet fighter flying, and you know the guy shaving his face. And well, when you buy those razors, um. On the back, typically you flip it over and you'll, and you'll see like a little raised piece. And that's a, it's an RFID chip. So see, they're getting us used to this whole concept of being able to be, to track us, to being able to buy or sell. The, I mean, it's it's so obvious, you know. What? What would happen if you touched that RFID chip? Instant electrocution. 
It's like 30 days in the electric chair, Taylor. Just kidding. Just kidding. Nothing! No, no. It puts out a very low frequency signal, and they can track you with that to a certain extent. I mean, it doesn't work. I don't think it works. Uh, I don't know how far they can track you. That's who knows. What about like a CD or something? No, no. They have to be, and and we're going to see more and more of this. This RFID chip. Getting back to the story, American Protestant. Protestant pastor Rick Warren on money said there was no peace in the region without Syria, noting that 80% of the American people rejected what the U.S. administration is doing in Iraq and considered the U.S. policy of the Mideast is wrong. Hey, Doug, can I get that fan? I'm starting to get overheated. Um, Syria's Grand Mutafi, Sheikh Bardir al-Din Huzan. Oh, this guy doesn't have a big opinion of himself at all. I mean, this guy's I mean, look at that name. Grand Mutafi Sheikh Baldir al-Din Hassoun. I think he must be Irish. It's a good Irish name. Um, and I'm sure he's got no shortage of ego or a problem with his self-esteem either. Because these guys think that they're like little gods on earth too. Well, anyway, the Sheikh guy received the American pastor in Damascus in which he referred to the importance of spreading the culture of amity, peace and coexistence instead of the clash of civilizations. Pastor Rick Warren, oh thank you, Pastor Rick Warren expressed admiration of Syria and the coexistence he saw between the Muslims and the Christians. Pastor Rick Warren, probably at the very, 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 very top, I would say he's higher than even Pastor Ted Haggard who just went down on on the homosexual charges that we talked about the last couple weeks. Pastor Rick Warrens wrote that book, The Purpose Driven Church, which is like a basically like New Age Christianity 101, you know? So, Pastor Rick Warren said he expressed admiration of Syria and the coexistence he saw between Muslims and Christians. He should be weeping for any kind of, of, of coexistence. I mean, from the standpoint of, yes, I'm not saying that we should shove Christianity and, and convert them to Christians, like the Muslims try to try to kill Christians to convert them to the Muslims, but you can't have a fountain yielding both salt and fresh water. And there's no unity between Muslims and Christians. They're diametrically opposed. I mean, Muslims, it says right in the Quran to slay the infidel, to kill the Christians. Why would he want coexistence between those two? I wouldn't. If I was a Christian, I am a Christian, and I, and I don't want that. So it says, Pastor Rick Warren expressed admiration of Syria and the coexistence he saw between Muslims and Christians, stressing that he will convey this image to his church and country. Evidently, Pastor Rick Warren doesn't really have a problem with all the Muslims that are going to hell. That's okay. We'll just overlook all that. And uh, we'll, we'll just... Um, it's just better to be united with them more than anything. Just to, you know, we don't want to uh, offend... And then this is from World Daily Net, entitled The Purpose Driven Lie. For a long time I've held off criticizing megachurch Rick, Pastor Rick Warren. No, thank you. Author of the best-selling Purpose Driven Life, even though I have been sorely tempted, when he joined up with the now-disgraced National Association of Evangelical Leaders, Ted Haggard, to suggest man-induced global warming, 
represented an impeding calamity. I didn't say too much. Now, in other words, Rick Warren was is is yoked up with Ted Haggard, the guy, the the uh, Mister uh, Gay Prostitute Man, you know. Um, that he says I question it, but I did, but I let it go. Now, World Daily Net, you know, yeah, they're better than most. Uh, at least they saw here that this was wrong. Okay, I don't think they take a hard enough stand. In fact, I don't think really any. Christian organization takes hard enough stand than I can see. I don't know one Christian organization that I can point you to on the internet or anywhere else where I could say, yep, they know about the 501c3, they know about the King James Bible, um, they know about this whole coming deception with the whole alien thing coming, they know um, about uh, the, the things that they're doing to the uh, foods and the water. I don't know one Christian organization that has a comprehension of any of that. Of, of in totality. Some of them have bits and pieces, but there's not one that I could point anyone to that, that, would, that would be able to handle what I routinely talk about here on a weekly basis. Now, I'm not saying that means I'm better, but I'm saying I don't know one that exists. I wish one that did exist. Yeah? If the aliens came and the Christians were like... Taylor, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail right now. Well, you're right, and that's exactly why that's going to all happen. That's a good point. Because when when these aliens... See, it's it's a matter of time. There's been a big debate in, 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 the, uh, in politics for 40, 50, 60 years about when are we going to finally... When's the government going to finally come clean and, and have what they call official disclosure? That's what they term it as, official disclosure. What, what are they going to be disclosing? That there's aliens here. Okay? Now, these aliens are basically what we, I believe what this is, is, it's the whole thing of where Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? We have aliens here. What are they? Well, there's some type of, of um, demonic, fallen angelic offspring, which is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Because as in the days of Noah, the biggest thing that was going on in that day was that the sons of man and saw the daughters of men saw that they were fair. They came, took them wives as they would, and then they had this race of giants. Okay, So I believe that's what we're seeing with this deception. We know it's going to have to be here. Oh, the church don't want to talk about this? None. No, no. So when, if let's just, just, just say they came out with the official disclosure. The little green men, they're here. We've been working with them in the government for years, but we didn't think you could handle it. How is anybody, in, in really any of the Christian religions, going to be able to handle that? Do you realize the whole world is going to look at the Christians and say, your whole religion is a total stinking lie. Because I don't see anything about little green men in here. And they're here now, and they're real, and your Bible's false. And you have no answer, do you, Mr. Christian? That's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to discredit the whole, because the Christians aren't going to have an answer. The Bible says always to be able to give ready hope for the, uh, an answer for the hope that is within you. Well, let me tell you something. When this happens, when this official disclosure happens, and it's going to happen, there's going to be a falling away. Oh, where have I heard that before? Huh? Falling away. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Huh? And then that wicked one would be revealed. We might have official disclosure right before the Antichrist is being revealed. And you know what? The Antichrist is going to have, a, going to have an answer. He's going to have a real big, nice, fat answer of what these little aliens... In fact, he's going to basically take credit. 
He's going to take credit for it. He's going to probably take credit for creating all of us too. What are these aliens saying? They're saying that they've been here for millions of years and they created us and that we've messed things up so bad now they're going to have to come back and finally intervene. We were like this big science project that went awry. And now they finally got to come back to straighten everything out. And the Antichrist is going to be their head. Oh, that would make for good preaching on it. Most Sunday mornings at most churches, what I just said, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, they'd love me for it. I would love, you know what I really like to do? I like to do another tour on that. On that one. I don't want to use the Prophecy Club, though. I don't want to use them. I, I can't, not knowing what I know now. But if I could do that, I think that that is one message that the Christian church desperately needs to have that's never preached on. Never! I mean, let's face it. It's something that's being shoved down our throats everywhere we look. Witchcraft. Cloning. Aliens. Harry Potter. All this stuff. Oh, Christians don't have no answer for that that thing. No, we'll just ignore it. In fact, we won't ignore it. We'll embrace it. Yeah. It's okay for Dr. Dobbins to promote Harry Potter. It's just harmless. They're going to be going along with it. But they're not going to have an answer for it. Yeah, we were just talking about C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, how they were members of the uh, Order of the Golden Dawn, which is a very... Uh, the Order of the Golden Dawn would be kind of like Freemasonry on steroids. Um, but it wasn't brutal enough for Aleister Crowley, you know, and he, he went and did a lot more heinous things than, than they even did in the Order of the Golden Dawn. But he he had a lot to do with reviving that organization, and he ascended to the top, but he, he split from them because they weren't hardcore enough for him. Still, very, 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 very occultic organizations that both C.S. Lewis and um, Tolkien were members of, who were high-level, I believe, high-level closet Satanists. Essentially, if you really want to boil it down, yet they're modern-day Christian writers, or, or not modern-day, but, you know, back in the early 1900s. And, you know, a lot of people quote to them, I, I read this story this morning, I was checking my news, and it was this story, and it started out real good, and it said, as the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis said, and I thought, ah, oh, Delete. I don't even. I don't even want to hear it. I don't. There, there's no. There's no discernment. I. I mean, I was shown this. I've only been a Christian for um, what is it? Thirteen years. Some of these men have, have have been in the Christian church for four. Why? Why couldn't have they have sought this out a little bit further? They've had a lot more time than me. I don't get it. I don't know. It, it don't make any sense to me. Taylor, did you need to ask something? No, I don't. So, um, I'll get into this. It says, uh, it says, when he joined Haggard again in writing an open letter to President Bush urging the government action to fight global poverty, I didn't say a word, even though I thought it ironic. This is talking about Rick Warren. After all, it is the church's responsibility to help the ports, not the government's responsibility. But now that Rick Warren has traveled to any to and provided legitimacy to a hostile foreign government presided over by a brutal fascist dictator who hates Jews, threatens Israel, subverts neighboring Lebanon, imprisons and terrorizes its own citizens, and even kills them in massive numbers when they stand up in revolt. Now I have to denounce this imposter in the strongest terms possible. Well, you know something? He should have been denouncing this imposter way back. 
way back, from the very get-go, because he's straight from the pit of hell. Remember that, that music video I showed you, that guy, that rap video, that idiot white guy that was on that thing? Well, that was, that was Rick Warren's purpose-driven worship, worship conference for 2006. That was the guy he had that opened up the whole worship conference. That was the, the, the uh, Christian white punk rapper. Yeah, that's the kind of discernment these people have. It's unbelievable. But um, we could not agree more. Protocol governing the travel of American citizens overseas dictates that they visit foreign leaders only with State Department approval. They do not meet with leaders of countries hostile to the United States. And they do not say anything which will contradict official American policy. Rick Warren has just violated all these firm and fixed policies. Why? Because he would rather serve Satan than God. That's why. Because he would rather cow down and be popular and be um, you know, accepted by the masses than serve God and please God. Because he's a tool of Satan. Because he's most likely a closet Satanist. Oh, you can't say that. You don't know that for sure. Well, no, I don't know it for sure, but if there's a likelihood of it, I would say that if Satan was going to use somebody, he's used Rick Warren in more of a mighty way than, than just about any other pseudo-Christian I've seen lately. The Bible says, by the fruit you shall know them. Well, his fruit's corrupt. That's just the tip of the iceberg on Rick Warren. I put out whole emails of point after point after point of documentation where he's done this, and he's done that, and he's done this. And yet people just love him. It's his book's number one bestseller of all, or just about of all Christian things lately. He says, I'm going to give it to you straight. Rick Warren has no um, business traveling to Syria and being used for propaganda purposes of this terror-supporting president. Um... Indeed, Pastor Warren looks like a very foolish, inexperienced man who is in over his head. Fair tells us how the Syrian government propaganda machine is spinning the meeting. Um, anyway, that that's just, it's just more um, confirmation here of the day and time we're living in. Um, while it is most definitely true, the, reason, the real reason Rick Warren is holding these types of meetings with Islamic leaders overseas seems to be more biblical than secular. In my opinion, how can that be? We have reported the truth that the Purpose Driven Church is an organization built according to the precepts and the money of the illuminist Peter Drucker. Did you know that? Yes, yes, yes. The Purpose Driven Church has actually been built by the money of the Illuminati, and this guy in the Illuminati, Peter Drucker. See, the people that are behind the money behind Rick Warren, just like the money behind Hitler, are, is the Illuminati, which basically is like Satan. Okay? That's the money that's behind it all. This church teaches a salvation through Jesus which does not save. It does not recognize sin. It does not recognize repentance of sin. Nor the sacrificial sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, nor the critical role which his shedding of blood plays in the salvation of a personal soul. See, he doesn't emphasize any of that. It's just God's love. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Yeah. He doesn't love sin, and you've got to do it his way. You don't get saved your way. Therefore, people who get saved, according to Rick Warner, are not saved at all because they have just been slipped a spiritual placebo. I think that Rick 
I think that Warren is traveling the globe in an effort to unite the world's religions into one big universal umbrella. Of course, this type of activity is setting up the world's religion as the one world religion in the fulfillment of the book of Revelation. Those with a discerning eye of faith and God's words will see the outline of the formation of the New World Order religion. Um, and, and the Pope, the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope has been doing the same thing for several decades now. He's met with all the world religion leaders. In fact, they've been all on the same uh, platforms and podiums together. And, and in fact, they've all been allowed to practice their own respective religions on that same podium with the Pope there, giving his blessing. Including Satanists. Oh, and witches and witch doctors. Hey, anything goes in the New World Order religion. Come one, come all. Yeah, well, um, let's see here. So, Robert Schuler's also met with the Grey Mutafi. Um, let's see here. Robert Schuler of Crystal Cathedral also visited with the Grey Mutafi in 1999 with the hope of being instrumental in bringing peace to the world. But now I have global awareness. Well, Jesus said, I, I came not to bring peace. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, yeah, He is the Prince of Peace. But you know when we're going to have peace? That thousand year millennium and thereafter. That's going to be when he rules the world with a rod of iron. That's when, that's when we're going to have peace. It's not going to be now. So, yes, he can give an individually Christian a peace in their heart, even going to a martyr's death. That's individual peace that the Holy Spirit can bestow on an individual. But corporate peace? It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, let's see here. Schuller continues, I once met with the Grand Mutafi, um, truly one of the great Christ-honoring leaders of faith. <laughs> He's a stinking Muslim! Ah, oh, you gotta leave it to Schuller, though. Schuller! He is one, spineless, backboneless, apostate, hell-bound, illuminist. That's what I say about Schuller. Oh, I know that's not politically correct. Sorry. But I call him like I see him. And I think that his fruit has totally amply showed me the type of person he's in. Then he goes on to say, this is a Schuller quote now. This is part of the same quote. I'm dreaming a bold and possible dream that positive thinking believers in God will rise above the illusions that our sectarian religions have opposed on the world. Well, doesn't that sound nice? And that the leaders of the major faiths will rise above doctrinal idiosyncrasies. That's what we're, that's what we're to be separated from. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Hmm, that's what Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 6.17. Or that's what the New Testament says. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Hmm. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what communion hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has Christ with Belial? Belial's the devil. Well, the Bible's saying the exact opposite thing, Mr. Schuler. Don't you have a problem with the very book that you, you that you say that you you base your faith on? You're not following it very well. Uh, this is just unbelievable. So he says, choosing these these religions, choosing not to focus on disagreements, but rather to transcend divisive, meaning dividing dogmas. 
to work together to bring peace and prosperity to the hope of the world. Well, yeah, tell that to all the martyrs that died, that, that didn't choose to, uh, you know, they, I guess they were bad because they were being divisive in, their, in the way they felt. They're divisive dogmas. Yeah. Well, say it to Jesus, because he died for the exact same reason. Pretty much. You know. So, um, wow, this, is, this message is really uh, pretty much against the Bible. This statement is truly global thinking and speaking. Forgiving, number one, forgetting divisive dogma means Christians giving up their beliefs that Jesus Christ is the unique Savior of the world and that all other, all other religions are false. Number two, choosing not to focus on disagreements but uniting on the basis of what various religions can agree upon means also giving up Christian doctrine. Yeah, what this all means is basically throwing your Bible out if, if, in order for you to embrace this. Number three, bringing peace and prosperity and hope to the world is the typical New Age language, which does the Bible prophetically warn. The Bible says when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. So that's another thing that I hadn't touched on. So see, a lot of this is going to be leading up to, I believe, World War III, but the what's going to be the cry of World War III? Well, the cry of World War III is, well, why can't we all just get along? And the mortal was Rodney Howard Brown. Sorry. Um, anyway, Basically, what that cry is going to be is that we want peace. We want peace. We want peace at all costs. The Antichrist is going to be there to deliver it. That's what he's going to do. He's going to step right up. So that's what's going to happen. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail upon a woman, and they shall not escape. Truly, the world is spinning towards its rendezvous with prophetic history, led by Christian leaders like Robert Schuller and Rick Warren. Notice the Schuler said the Matafi was Christ honoring. <laughs> That's just that, oh, I can't even have a comment on that. Um, since Islam does not recognize Jesus as being 100% God at the same time that he's 100% man, and as the only Savior of the world, we can know that the Christ which Schuler and Matafi have in mind cannot be Jesus. Well, yeah, that's true. However, they could be referring to the Masonic Christ, the man of sin and perdition, whom the Bible calls any Christ. That's true. Rick Warren shares Schuler's spiritual proclivities and has stated that he believes peace can come to, wor to the world through a unification of different faiths. He calls this the Second Reformation. Isn't this unbelievable? These guys are just totally overt that we're going to unite all the world religions. And no, there's no outcry among their congregations. And yet the Bible warned us this was going to be the earmark of the age we live in. Um... Hmm. And, and God did say, I will send them strong delusion, that they shall believe a lie, that they shall all be damned. Ooh, that doesn't sound nice. That's how God feels about this. If you're, think about this, if you are strongly deluded in believing a lie, that's, that's not a really good thing, you know, I, I think that's pretty bad because it says you're going to be damned and go to hell. I mean, that's why it's so important that we need to walk in truth. Why? Well, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Well, how can you continue in his word if you got a false Bible, number one? And even if you got the right Bible, if you're in the wrong church, here in the wrong, you know, their, their, their interpretation of whatever they believe to be his truth, you're still under the, behind the eight ball. If you continue my word, then you're, then you're my disciples indeed. 
and ye shall know the truth, and the truth truth shall make you free. That's why it's really, really super, super important to be walking in truth. It's just not this little light, fluffy thing where, well, yeah, bless God, I'm deceived, and, you know, I kind of have this idea that that I'm probably a little bit wrong in this, but everybody in my church is doing it, and, and, you know, this Bible is easier to read, and, and, you know, we... Do you realize how important it is for you to be walking in truth? Do you realize the implications on on being deceived and going to hell? That's not ever preached on either. It's this isn't just a matter of well, we know more than everybody else, and 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 we're going to uh, maybe escape some things coming on the earth because we've 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 been prudent and we foresaw the evil and we've hid ourselves and um, we've prepared for these things. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of going to heaven or hell. Is, is, is how important it is to be walking in truth. It's that important. That's why I harp on this stuff every single week. Because it is a matter of life and death, a lot of this stuff. Now, you knowing about Schuler meeting with... I'm not saying that's going to take you to heaven or hell, but if you're following Schuler and his theology, you will go to hell. Sure you will. So it's very important for you to have your foundation set in truth because if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And, and, and I just think the righteous are being destroyed left and right. The Bible says if, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Well, I, that's why we always have to be humble before God. Um, because if we're not humble before God, we can lose that communication with God and be deceived. I'm just going to read this real quick. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power, lying signs and wonders. There we go again. All, that's how he's going to do it. So all these people that are seeking a sign, man, that he, they're already, already in Satan's spell. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. It doesn't say he's going to come with all power of, of lying signs and doctrine. Lying signs and wonder. Why? Because that gets your attention more than anything. He's going to be able to call fire out of heaven? Well, that's going to be pretty impressive. Oh, oh, well then I'm just going to believe it because I can see it. And I'm, I'm just going to damn my soul to hell because he called fire out of heaven. Or he, or he healed somebody. Or he did this or he did that. Don't trust in any of that. That is not what we're supposed to put our faith in. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God sends it. God sends it. Oh, that's not a loving God wouldn't do that. I don't care what you what you think. He's still a loving God, but He still sends this. He still sends it. Why? Because these people want to have it their own way. They're willingly ignorant. They don't want truth. Really is the bottom line. If they don't want truth... I see it more more now than ever. I mean, that's part of the reason that, that I've gotten so disgusted with this country. Because for the most part, they don't want truth. And I'm sick of it. It's like, well, I don't want to be around you if you don't want truth. I, I, I mean, I'd like to be somewhere where at least the population, a little bit more of the population would embrace truth. I don't know. It gets frustrating is all I'm saying. What's that? That's a great point was just brought up here um, is how 
we need to pray to be not deceived. And the Bible says the greatest warning Jesus gave specifically regarding the end times that we're living in is be not deceived, be not deceived. He said it over and over. Well, that's something you need to pray for then. Well, I think you also need to pray for humility and the fear of God because that all goes along with that. If you're really humble before the Lord and you have fear of God on your life, I don't believe you're going to get... I mean, you may not be... I'm not saying I'm walking where I'm not deceived about every single thing, but God, I believe, will, will show you. He'll keep incrementally showing you things and things and things. And, and He knows who are His kids and who are not His kids. It's bottom line. So... Um, it, it is it is scary because you got all these ministries out there thinking that they're doing God's work and they're they're leaving out such gigantic chunks of super important material that ultimately because they did not set forth are going to cause so many people to fall away. Really, what it's going to be? So it says that that God shall send them. God sends the strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might all be damned who believe not the truth. Who believe not the truth. Who were damned? Those that didn't believe the truth. Hmm. My children are destroyed for lack of knowledge? Oh. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, thou shalt be a priest to me no more, and I will reject thee and thy children? Wow. I mean, it's all through the Bible. It's all through there. What was the main criteria that they were, that they were damned? Because they believe not the truth. Huh, that's why I, brought, I was at a meeting the other day, um, once you, and I said, I said, um, you know, it's so important for us to be walking in truth. And the Bible says in, in Proverbs 18, verse 13, it says, Whoso judgeth the matter, before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame. Now that's what you've got today in America more than ever. Everybody's judged it. They've believed the modern media. They've believed their preachers. And, and, and you bring up something that's contradictory to what they've been taught. They've judged it before they ever heard it. That's a very dangerous position to be in. Very dangerous. Because if you're continually believing a lie, well, how are you, what are you going to be protected of when the Antichrist comes? God sends the strong delusion. Are you going to beat God? He's going to send it. That they're, that they're going to believe a lot. I believe this is also the sin unto death that we had talked about last week. They've crossed the line. There ain't nothing more you can do for them. God sends them strong delusion. Their, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. Why? Because they've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And now they speak lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4.1 So, the Bible says in 1 John 5, it says, There is a sin unto death, and in that sin I say you shall not pray for it. What is the sin unto death? I think we determined last week from Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, and Jeremiah 14 that the sin unto death is repetitive, habitual sin against God, turning your back on Him when He's been trying to show you the truth and you continually rejecting Him. What if you're warm in the pew at some apostate church? Isn't that the same thing? You're telling me God's inspiring you to be in that apostate church week after week after week. Isn't that just kind of the same as you continually turning your back on what God really is trying to tell you? You're not seeking truth there. You're seeking a false Bible version and a 501c3 corporation with the pastor as the CEO, the board of deacons as the directors, and you've got all this false doctrine going on. Isn't that continually, habitually? Now, I'm not saying every one of those people are going to hell, but I'm saying most of them are. The way it stands right now, unless they get a real healthy dose of truth and fear God. I mean, I, I see here that it's the God sends the strong delusion 
that they may believe a lie. Well, that's kind of bad because God's the one sending it. Why? That they might all be damned. That's the reason. He's sending it so that they're all going to be damned. Whoa! That's hard to believe. That doesn't sound like a loving God. God's a God of love and He's also a God of judgment. And you cannot be walking in total apostasy and error in, in all these things and expect to please God. You can't do it. They might all be damned who believe not the truth. Oh, but let's read the last part. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, sin is pleasurable for a season. But if you look around, I mean, this is a self-Christian check. Of course, most people that are deceived don't acknowledge that they're deceived. That's why it's so important when we do find out truth that we embrace that truth because if we start rejecting truth at any level, well, that's, the, that's how this, all, this whole thing starts. When we start rejecting truth at any level, well then, now you've just rejected truth that God was trying to show you. Well, how's God going to show you further truth? He's going to keep you right where you're at until you deal with this one issue. How's he going to move you on? I mean, you want to be a general in the Lord's army, but you start at a corporal or a private, and you get to the rank of corporal, and you don't pass that rank because you, you've done something obstinate. You've done something against you being able to advance. Well, how are you ever going to go further? It's, it's the same way with truth. But they believed not the truth. Why didn't they believe the truth? Because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Believing Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is pleasurable. Because I believe that I'm better than you, Mr. Jew. And I'm of, I'm of a better lineage or a better stock. And, you know, I am an, I'm actually really studying to be an ascended master. Where I'm going to commune with the little green men. And maybe the big guy in the sky. As they refer to him, and you know we're gonna uh, we're gonna I'm gonna regress into my past lives and reflect on how I was Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in a past life and wear a powdered wig and read tarot cards and do all kind of fun stuff and get my palms red and just anything goes pretty much because you know my reality is what I created to be. Isn't that the lie that Satan first told Eve in the Garden of Eden? You shall be as gods. You should be as gods. You know. And that, that was a pretty strong pull for her, because look what she did. She crossed over the line and sinned, and did the one thing God told him not to do. It was a strong enough pull that what Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden was a strong enough pull for her to actually do that. Don't you think he, he's the same today, right now? And it's still a strong pull. You shall be as gods. That's the lie of the New Age. That's the one world, New World Order religion. So, Going a little bit further, um, <clears throat> the Grand Mutafia of Jerusalem visits Berlin. This is in 1941. Meets with Hitler. So this Grand Mutafia in 1941, that was probably a different guy. Um, he met with he visits Berlin and he meets with Hitler. To understand the true meaning of this photograph, there's a photograph of this guy meeting with Hitler. Muhammad Amin al-Hussein, it could be the same guy, it was 1941. Well, whether it's him or whether it was his dad, I don't know, but he met with Palestine Arab nationalists and Muslim religious leaders. Um, known for his anti-Zionism, al this this. Um, 
this Grand Mutifi guy, fought against the establishment of a Jewish state uh, in the territory of the British Mandate of Palestine. To this end, Hosseini collaborated with Nazi Germany during World War II and helped recruit Muslims for the Waffen-SS. So in other words, this guy was, was basically um, met with Hitler, helped Hitler, and now Rick Warren's meeting with him. Basically his descendant or whatever. They're all on the same page. Don't tell me this guy's changed a bit. He's a Muslim. They don't change. Muslims don't change unless they get saved, which is very rare. In 1933, within weeks of Hitler's rise to power Germany, this um, Al-Husseini, this, this Mutafi guy, sent a telegram to Berlin addressed to the German Council General in the British Mandate of Palestine saying he looked forward to spreading their theology in the Middle East, especially in Palestine, and offered his services. So this guy was basically saying to Hitler, Hey man, we're on the same page. We look forward to bringing your doctrine to where we're at. It never quite happened because he never, he never went to that. But if, if Hitler would have been given more time, he would have went south. He just chose to go north, first off. And then, and then he tried to get over into Russia. Um, was this Grand Mutafi Christ-honoring also? Is the question he has here. After all, Adolf Hitler believed himself to be the Antichrist. Further, while the Brotherhood of Death Coven, known as the Thule Society, which was what Hitler was part of, which was, again, like the, the Masons on steroids... Okay, the Thule Society, Hitler was the object of numerous seances led by Dietrich Eichhardt, of which the purposes of the seance was to call forth the spirit of Antichrist. Did you know this about Hitler? This guy was heavily involved in the occult. They had a, a castle at Wolfsburger, I believe, that they built specially for their occult ceremonies where the SS, um, that was kind of like the, the headquarters of the SS, of the, um, of the Hitler people. And it was a nasty place. So they were called forth the spirit of Antichrist from the abyss into Hitler. Now, Hitler also said that he had this thing called the spear of Longinus. You ever hear of the spear of Longinus? Spear of destiny? Did you know what they said that was? They said it was the spear of the Roman centurion burst into the side of, of Christ when, 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 see if he was dead and the blood and the water came out? Well, this is called the spear of Longinus. You know about that? Hitler had it the whole, well, he had it when they went in Australia, or Austria, Australia. Yeah, he invaded Australia. No, he invaded Austria. And there was, in, in a museum in Austria, there was the Spear of Longinus, as far as I know. And he took that spear. And that spear was, basically, they said that whoever had the spear would be able to um, win any war, or do whatever he wanted to. And Hitler actually had that spear when he was, when he was conquering all these countries. That was the first thing he tried to get when he went into Austria. That's a little known fact. Um, so Hitler was heavily involved in the occult. Hitler was a prototype of the coming true Antichrist. He was, was, was he the Christ whom the Grammatophy was honoring? Uh, doubt it not. And then it says, um, this next article, Roman Catholic Vatican hierarchy reaffirmed priestly celibacy in a most ghastly and corrosive institution responsible for centuries of sexual sin committed by priests against poor Catholic... I, I expose the Catholics every chance I get. I hate that religion. Um, Vatican City. Pope Benedict has called for a meeting of Vatican advisors for a reflection on issues related to celibacy in the church. Following a schism led by the renegade African archbishop who wants priests to be able to marry. So see, now the Catholic Church has a little problem because there's a certain amount of them that think that priests should be able to marry. Well, number one, where do they get the biblical mandate that priests should be 
celibate. Where's that? I mean, yes, Paul said it's better, you know, if, if you can if you can bear it, you know, if, if you if to not marry so that you can give basically your whole self to God in service. Things of that nature. But it's also better to marry than to burn, the Bible says. And if you're in a position where God's called you into a, uh, a marriage with somebody, and it's a godly marriage, well, then you should get married. I mean, it should be something you try to deny yourself of. I mean, God created this man and woman, and, and to deny all these things that the Catholics do, what it does is it allows the spirit of perversion to come in because they have all these pent-up sexual sins. It's, it's a totally demonic institution anyway. So when you become a Catholic and you become a priest and you have to go through all that, you're just inviting devils and devils and devils and devils into you. And these devils have a bent toward pedophilia. Why would they have a bent toward pedophilia? Because what better way could Satan defile millions of children then to do it through a nice, wonderful priest guy. Somebody who these people look up to, somebody that most of the time people won't even turn in. Because, oh, well, he's, he's, he's father or whatever. Well, the Bible says, call no man father but your father in heaven. Um, so they got all these priests out there that are, that are bound up in sexual sin. They're sodomizing one another. They're sodomizing little kids. you got the nuns having sex with one another. Oh, but this is all evidently biblical. Well, the Bible says, by the fruit you shall know them. The Catholic Church is one of the most sick, twisted, satanic, puke religions that's ever, that's ever um, graced the, the, uh, the earth. And it's going to be probably the, the religion of the New World Order, the umbrella of which all the other religions come under. And they're going to have one big amalgamated, melded religion of Hinduism, Catholicism, all this other stuff. Um... The Roman Catholic Church insists that its priests remain celibate and has ruled out letting them marry. I mean, they wouldn't want to let some, do something like that. That that might you know that might take away um, some of their satanic power too. You know, I mean, they they, they, they want to Satan wants that thing to be as perverted as it could possibly be. And if you let them marry, then it's not as perverted. You know, it's not as perverted if, if they can actually marry. I mean, no way. I mean, they they want to uh, they want it to be as sick as they can. Which, okay, so the, the Catholic Church advocates uh, would ease worldwide shortage of priests. Priests were permitted to wed during the first millennium, but marriage was condemned by the second, at the Second Lateran Council in 1139. Cutting Edge posted a number of in-depth articles on the practical ramifications of forced celibacy. Meaning, you know, you got to be, can't marry ever. For that is the reason so many Catholic priests have been preying on young, innocent boys and girls for the past 900 years. By their fruit you shall know them. They were also the ones that killed most of the Christians. The true Christians. Um, please consider some of these articles. These are just titles of some of the articles they've ran on this very issue. Roman Catholic priests abusing children constantly. The evil confessor. Uh, number two, why do, children, why do child sex abuse victims of Catholic priests remain silent for decades rather than immediately reporting to their parents? And that's out of fear. Pedophilia. Another article. Pedophile Catholic priest confessed directly to the Pope in 1973, but His Holiness took no action. Later, over 50 children were molested and raped. Fourth article. Proofs that the sexual sins of the Roman Catholicism have existed long before the 40 years admitted by the priests of today. Of course it has. This is the same reason why when you, when you get to the deeper levels of the Masons, 
you know what they also have a gigantic problem with? Pedophilia. Abusing and sexually abusing their, their own children and other children. The Masons. In fact, it's so bad that in the Mason, Masonic organizations, they have whole support groups for the families that have been destroyed by the Masons that have had sex with their own kids and all this other stuff. I can't even conceive of this junk. Why is that? Because every time you go up a, a different degree in the Freemasons, first degree, second degree, third degree, all the way up to the 32nd degree of the York Rite, all the way up to the 33rd degree in the, in the uh, Scottish Rite, every time you go up a different degree, you invite more devils into you. And as, the longer you stay in that organization, you're inviting more devils in you. Oh, you can't talk about this in today's day and age. Oh, no, that's, that's just crazy stuff. I don't believe that, that a Christian can have a devil. Well, you know... I'm sorry, but most of the people, number one, if you're a Mason, you're not a Christian. Because you're, you can't serve both God and man. And, and when, you, when you take these Masonic oaths, that's directly against the Bible. You're taking all these blood oaths to serve the Masonic Brotherhood. Well, God's, God's in the background. God says, I am the God, the God of all flesh. I will have no more God, no gods before me. So, you're immediately violating the spiritual tenets that Jesus Christ set down. So, number one, I don't believe you can be a Mason and be a true born-again Christian. I don't believe that can be possible. I believe there would be such conviction in a true Christian's life that they couldn't get very far into that thing before they got out quick. Okay? Now, I do believe there have been people that have been saved out of it, but not saved and go into it and stay in it. Why? Because the Holy, if the Holy Spirit really lives inside you and is convicting you, you'd be so miserable and have such conviction to get out of that thing, you couldn't stand it. So that's why it's pretty scary when you have these people staying in it for years and saying, oh, I'm born again Christian too. Yeah, and they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're deacons at Baptist churches like you wouldn't believe. Pastors, they, have, they don't see any problem with it. Their, their consciences have been seared. They're, they're blind. That's scary. They're going to hell. So that's just, that's, but see, the Catholicism is no different. The farther you go into a cult, the more demonically possessed you become, the worse and worse things you will do. And it always, the worst thing you can always get into is pedophilia. That's the worst thing. And always, and, and isn't that funny? That's kind of where it always ends up with the high level Masons, with the high level Catholic priests, with all these high level, look at Ted Haggard, you know, gay male. It always comes into some s sexual, same sex. Homosexual sin, and then and then from there it perverts down to then same sex sins with children. Um, you know, it's where it always ends up. Well, that's what that's Satan for you. Um, for celibacy and auricular confession and some of the aspects of the priest training, render a Roman's priest a sexual ab abnormal person or a sex pervert. In other words, you're hearing all of these. They go, they go to confession, to confess their sins before the priest. Where's that in the Bible? The Bible says there's one moderator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It ain't married, it ain't a priest. It's Jesus Christ. You go to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how the Bible says to pray. Okay? But they believe you've got to go to a priest to confess your sins. Well, a priest hearing what people are thinking and doing in their deprived state all the day long, that's going to affect the priest too. He becomes twice the child of hell hearing that stuff all the day long. And he starts to really like it too. And he starts to feel pretty powerful. You know why? Because you know things about a person that nobody else knows. You think that might be another reason people don't want to come forward? Because even if they come forward, that priest has already heard all my nasty sins. 
And now he sodomized me, and not only does he know all my nasty sins, but he sodomized me. That's not exactly something you want to come out in the, the traffic and say, hey, this guy sodomized me. I mean, that's not something you're going to want to brag about. So it's no wonder people don't come forward more. Um, so, and then there's another article. Proofs that the sexual sins of the Roman Catholicism have... Well, that's, that's part three. And it says, going back to 1710, we find the predatory priests preying upon women in the confessional, using all the techniques we have been described, including threatening the women with torture and death at the hands of the Inquisition if she did not submit to his sexual lust. Um, the true face of Roman Catholicism Inquisition, which is the rotten spiritual fruit from the abyss of hell. Yeah, I like that title. Celibacy in the Catholicism is not the issue. Forced celibacy is the issue, major understanding. Now that you properly understand how forced celibacy has thoroughly decimated the ranks of priests, they were already decimated. They were already of the uh, children of hell um, going into this thing. They just became more the children of hell. Twice the children of hell because they stayed in it. Um, and then what does that do? Well, it destroys the faiths of millions of these Catholics. They, they themselves become demon-possessed through sodomy, through sexual sins, through the participation in the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church is, is a... Is a uh, tell you what, you have a, you have a hardcore Catholic, man. You can't talk to them at all. You, they don't want to hear any truth at all. Um, now, they could say the same thing about me. They could say, well, I'm narrow-minded, I don't want to hear truth. But you know something? I can rebut everything that they're telling me, yet they can't rebut me. There's a big difference there. That's the difference between being able to be a defender of the faith. The Bible says, in Jude verse, verse 2, it says, Now I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto you. Well, that's what I'm talking about. This is called earnestly contending for the faith. There ain't too many people wanting to do it. Oh, I don't want to get into that. I might make enemies and they wouldn't like me. And, and uh, I might be ostracized. Whatever. Your life's not a popularity contest. I mean... You know, I've resided myself to be the fact that just, you know, martyrdom is my future. I mean, unless the Lord comes back, or unless I die, I believe it's a certain future for me to be martyred, okay? I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me, period. Well, that's not a bad way to go. If, if you've got to be martyred um, for your faith, well, I'm in pretty good company. Jesus Christ being at the top of the list. So... And trust me, you get to that point as a Christian, God's grace will be sufficient to get you through that thing. And you think about it, the millisecond after you die, you're in glory. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if you go in there with a martyr's crown, you couldn't ask for much more. So, I mean, I know in the flesh it's hard to deal with that. But I'm talking, try not to dwell on the flesh. Try to dwell on, man, that's going to be some awesome rewards. Now, I do believe... You know, you die a martyr's death. You've got reward coming. Because that's a privilege. I don't even think God would put you in that position unless you were worthy, in his eyes, of doing that. He, not everybody... I mean, there were some... There's been some that you read in Fox's Book of Martyrs. They, they purely tried to attain unto being a martyr. That, that they would be worthy to account this thing. So if you get put in that position, that's, that's the greatest honor that you could ever have as a Christian. Um... But you cannot do it in and of yourself. You can't muster yourself up and say, "Oh, I want to be." Tor I mean, it's not something. I, I don't. I don't. I don't ask for it. I don't ask to be tortured and murdered and mutilated for the call. I, I mean, but if that's what God's will is, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's what His will is. Then, then I pray His will be done. 
All I'm asking for is that, you know, he be the one that, that cover me and get me through it. I, I, when I was up there at that court case this week, oh, man, I mean, you can't. I knew they were going to just be grilling me hardcore. Federal criminal case, this is really serious stuff. I was the one that started this this whole mess. I was the one that pretty much started it. I was the one that turned this guy into the FBI. You know what I found out? The FBI had already got to him. And had cut a deal with him. And I was on the phone with an FBI agent named Ray Vikas. And Ray Vikas was taking my testimony, and do, but do, doing nothing. Doing nothing. This guy was staging accidents, paying for patients, doing all this illegal stuff. And I'm sitting there, I turn him in. The guy hires a voodoo witch doctor to try to kill me. And, and, and I mean, I know I've told you the stories about that guy. And this guy goes scot-free. You know what he did? He was a crooked attorney, and he cut a deal with the FBI because they were on him. He started wearing a microphone everywhere he went, and he started entrapping people. He would just basically try to get clients or whatever, and he'd try to entrap them into doing illegal stuff. And then he would take that testimony, so his, his sorry butt wasn't going to go to prison. That's what he did. And the FBI was now on his side. And the FBI, you know who grilled me? The FBI. That's who I was getting grilled by. Up at, the, up at this thing. In fact, I walked out there in the hall and this FBI lady comes up and she's real nice, sticky, sweet to me. And she says, oh, all this stuff about where do I live and, 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 and do you like it up north? And I'm thinking, oh, come on, dude, I know what you're doing. You're trying to soften me up so I'll, so I'll tell you something you want to know. And, she, and, then she, and then she comes out with it finally. She says, why didn't you, why didn't you pursue the... Uh, see, I made a complaint to the Florida Bar about this crooked attorney. Not only did I turn him into the FBI... But I, but I made a complaint to the Florida Bar. And she says, why didn't you turn him in? Why didn't you pursue your, uh, um, your uh, thing that you submitted to the Florida Bar? Now, the Florida Bar is like the governing association for the attorneys. And I said, I said, you know what I told her? And this is what I told the court. I said, listen, I said, I felt as though if I had turned in all this evidence to the FBI and done all that I had done, and, they, and, and the FBI, with all of its infinite resources, inf resources with, with greater, greater than I'll ever have, we're talking about the FBI here, if they didn't deem it acceptable to pursue this man and to go after him, what could I do? What could I do? Who am I? That's what I said to this jury panel. I said, what could I do? And that, they just shut him right up. Because I was trying to be honest with them, and I said, you know, what, what can I do? But the FBI were the ones up there grilling me coming after me, and yet, I was the one that tried to help them. It was so ironic, the whole thing. It was just so ironic. But because here was their star witness, here was their corrupt star attorney witness, who was working with them now, and I was trying to discredit him, and all I was doing was telling him the truth. Now, now I was the enemy, even though I was the one that tried to help them from the get-go. That was what was so ironic about the whole thing. Thanks, Doug. Um, so anyway, I, I got off on a rabbit trail there, but... I wanted to mention that. It's just a very, 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 uh, the world that we live in, you know. Um, so, so, then we got another thing here. Uh, Roman Catholic bishops adopt gay outreach guidelines. New rules meant to be welcoming gays uh, are told to be celebrate while working as priests. So now they're, it's okay to be a gay priest. They're coming right out and saying it. I mean, how could they not? Most of the, most of these guys are gay. Most of the priests are gay. Because it's unnatural to begin with. And they're demon-possessed going into this thing. 
The nation's Roman Catholic bishops announced Tuesday adopted new guidelines for gay outreach that are meant to be welcoming, while also telling gays to remain celibate since the church considers their sexual orientation disordered. Gay Catholic activists said that the approach was to be contorted and flawed, that it would alienate the very people it was trying to reach. This approach is guaranteed to allow gay men to become priests, where they can prey on the young, innocent boys in the parish. Oh, isn't that a great deal for, for a gay boy? Isn't that a great deal? Where do I sign up? Active gay men will say anything, make any pledge in order to gain admittance into the Catholic churches. I never even thought about that until I just read this. Think about that. I mean, think about it. What a great deal for a pedophile. I can go in there, look holy, have a title, have all these people revere me, and then be sexually sodomized and, and, and have a pedophilia with these young boys behind closed doors. Active gay men will say anything, make any pledge in order to gain admittance into the Catholic. I had never even thought about that till now. And yet it's so obvious if you think about it. Of course. I mean, I, I'm always thinking, well, the men get into it and they're basically good, trying to be good people, trying to, and then they get into it and then they get perverted by all the demonic things and all the demonic baggage they pick up by being part of that corrupt institution. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But think about this. Many of these people are already gay going into it. Knowing fully well that this is an this is an ideal outlet for them and an ideal cover, it's the it's the ultimate cover. Where else could you have a better cover to sexually molest young boys than a Catholic church as a priest? Um, a place where they can have access to almost unlimited numbers of little boys. That is so stinking sick. I hate the Catholic Church. I I hate it with a passion. I hate everything they stand for, and I get so angry when, when you watch a documentary or something, and they say, and the Christian church, and they always were referring to as, as the Catholic church. They always referred to that. You know, every single time. It's, it's, it's one and the same, basically. And you see a whole bunch of that. Um, if we go to Romans... I messed up, and the last time I stopped in Romans, I did not mark where I was at. Um, and I believe... It's chapter 13. Yeah. Yeah, chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth... Now I've went over this, these verses before. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now hold on here. Now a lot of people would say... This means obey the government no matter what they tell you to do. That's it. It says obey the higher powers. Oh, okay. Well, now hold on here. It says in verse 3, it says, For the rulers are not a tear to good works, but to evil. So in other words, this higher power that they're referring to here can only be a tear, or not a tear to good works, but to evil works. That's what it says. 
what is that? That's a definition of the higher power we're in reference to here. Now, what if it said, um, well, no, I don't even want to go there, but the, the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. So that's the definition of the higher power that we're in reference to. What if the higher power you're thinking to be the higher power is a tear to good works and promotes evil works? Well, it's not the same higher power this is talking about here. It cannot be. It cannot be. So it's not anything goes. I mean, would this apply if you lived over in, in the uh, Islamic world where everything was based out of Muslim religion? Well, hey, they're the government. We've just got to obey what they say and do what they do. Well, is that the same reason the martyrs went to their deaths? Because they were obeying what the government told them? No, it's not. They were obeying what the government was... They were doing what the government was telling them not to do. Particularly the church, who was basically like the government at that point. Catholic Church had more sway than the government of the day. So when it says, let every soul be subject under the higher powers, in reference to these higher powers, are always rulers... For the rulers are not a tear to good works. These higher powers are not a tear to good works. But to evil. I don't see a whole lot of that going on in our day, day and age, in our government. Do you? I don't see a whole lot of that at all. Now, granted, I think it's good when a policeman goes out and gets a murderer off the street. Yes, that is good. Okay, but something ungodly that a government is, is advocating you to do, like same-sex marriage, like, oh, you can't preach the Bible anymore because that's hate speech. You, you see where I'm going with this? There's so many ways that our government, the things that they're telling them to, us to do, are contradictory to the Bible. Our government is so corrupt and evil right now at the head. And the Bible says if the head be sick, then the whole body's sick. Um, it's just a matter of time before it falls. Our currency is nothing more than paper. There's nothing backing it. All it would take is for that little balloon, that big balloon that's been created to pop, our currency is devalued, and for this country to go into anarchy, and it could happen literally overnight. The, the American dollar could be devalued enough. It's happened in other countries. It's happened in a lot of other countries. Their, their, their currency is devalued overnight. You take a, a, a wheelbarrow full of their money to buy a loaf of bread. So, you have to read this chapter with that in mind. It has to be in the proper context. So it says, Wilt thou not then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Do that which is good. Are you doing that which is good? What if the government, what if what, if what you deem as the higher power is telling you to do something evil? Which is the case with our government so much of the time. Because the things that they say you have to do, hate speech, accept the gays, be politically correct, is that biblical? Jesus same again, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus was crucified because he didn't go along with what the religious modern leaders of the day were telling him to do. Hmm. So, when we say these higher powers are not a terror to good works, but to evil, this can only apply to godly authority, as the rulers mentioned here are only a tear to evil works. Then it says, For he is a minister of God to thee for good. A minister of God. A minister of God. Hmm. 
a minister of God, which is a tear to good, which is not a tear to good works, but to evil. Now, all I ask is that if you if you judge higher powers, always judge it in the light of this scripture. Judge it. Well, is this is this person telling me to do something that's against the Bible, against the Word of God, or in accordance with the Word of God? Because I'm not saying that our government's to a point right now where they don't do things in accordance to the Word of God. I think it's good when they get these dirtbags off the street that are selling crystal meth and, and, and murdering. and doing, I mean, I think that's good. I'm glad, yes. You've got no problem with me. I've got no problem with emergency medicine. You, get a, you, you have a, some type of massive internal injury and you go to the emergency room and they save your life. No problem there. But see, here's the problem. In medicine it is, is that the people then choose to stay in the medical system and think that they can drug their bodies into good health using pharmacia, which is where we derive the root word for sorcery from in the Bible. So, again, there has to be a balance here. The, the, uh, sometimes the judicial system works in this country. Sometimes it is a tear to good works, or, or, or to bad works. But many times, and the more and more and more, and the more things get corrupt, it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be a tear to good works. And I mean, we're already seeing that now. Um, theoretically, what we're doing right now is, is um, because of the hate speech crimes that have been passed, really is, is illegal. What I'm doing right now, really it is, in this country, already. It really is. Because um, the hate speech crime, they just haven't been enforced yet. It's like a lot of things right now that are on the books, all these executive orders that are already in place that I get into on my, um, on my DVD, on the avian flu. All these executive orders that are already in place to put us in the prison camps that are already out there, already in existence, already fully operational, already staffed. These executive orders are all there. Where they can basically take away your family take you, put you wherever they want to put you, they can take away your car, they can confiscate every bit, they can, they can do whatever they want when these executive orders take. They're already on the books. They've already been signed. It's just a matter of implementation. That's the only thing separating us right now. Now, that's God's hand. God's hand and His mercy is the only thing that's holding this thing back. But I'm telling you, they're already there. They're already there. So, um, for he is a minister of God to do thee for good. Now, is, is he going to be a minister of God when he comes and takes you and puts you in the prison camps? And, and if you end up going to the guillotine, is that a minister of God? You know? <laughs> is he doing God's work? Well, God may be permitting it to happen. But when you got a one, new world order wanting to kill you because of the stance that you take as a Christian, I don't think he's a minister of God. He's a minister of the devil. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. It says if you do that which is evil. What if you're doing good? What if you're doing what if you're living biblical and you die? Well, this minister don't sound like he's the minister of God then. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God. A revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So see, it reiterates it over and over and over again here. That this minister is a minister of God that takes revenge to execute people that do that, that um, upon him that doeth evil. So, everything's backwards nowadays. 
Woe unto him that call evil good and good evil. That put light for dark and dark for light. And that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from their house. Proverbs 17, verse 13. So, um, see, nowadays everything's just backwards. Everything's just backwards. You know, it's everybody's calling evil good and good evil. Wherefore, he must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Well, there ain't a whole lot of these men left right now. These God's ministers they're in reference to? Whoa! There ain't a whole lot of these guys left. Pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. They're God's min that means that these people are wholly devoted to the things of God. Show me a whole lot of that going on in the government. <laughs> the government's not set up to be that way. It's not set up that way anymore. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whose custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. You have to qualify this. You have to qualify it by the, by the definitions that were laid down at the start of this chapter. That's what's important about this. The Bible says you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the thing about this. Then it says, O man, no, no, oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. That's the main thing it says. When you love one another, you actually fulfill the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is one of those commandments that if you do it, then a lot of these other things will just happen as a natural byproduct. That's the point of this verse. That's like what I say about if you truly have the fear of God operating in your life, in humility, that so many other things just take care of themselves and you don't got to really worry. And that's why I think the Bible says that if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're truly walking in the Spirit, so many other things just take care of themselves that you don't have to, you're not under the law. Okay? That's why there's, there's these verses. And this has a, this plays a part in that. Um, Loving one another as you love yourself. You know, these types of things. Um, loving your God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That, these types of things. Um, and then it says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep. Well, whoa, does that was what the church needs to hear today. But see, they think they have awoken out of their sleep. They think that they're more spiritual. They think that they're better. But they're not. They're blind, dumb dogs. And if the blind leadeth the blind, they all fall into a ditch. That's what the Bible says. And that's what's happening. you got the pastors who are blind, leading their blind flocks into a ditch. And, and in that ditch, they're going to get kerosene thrown on them and burn for eternity. Oh, but that's not a message of love. Well, I love them enough to tell them the truth. Does it mean I think I'm better? No, I don't. I know that's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. I admit it. I'm not holding them to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. I'm, I'm really not. I, I, I don't want to ever give that impression. I praise God for His mercy and grace. I really do. <clears throat> so it's high time 
to wake out of sleep. Well, that has that has a, a, a spiritual application to the whole thing. When you wake out of your sleep, I believe that has a spiritual application to embracing this truth that we've been talking about. When you're sleeping, you can't learn anything. You're not going to receive truth when you're sleeping. But when you awake out of the sleep in your conscience, you can receive things to discern between right and wrong, good and evil. Well, the church is asleep. They're lukewarm and asleep. And now is our salvation nearer than when, when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. The Bible says, let us put on the armor of light. That's another thing that you could do from a spiritual component. Not to mention the full armor of God. This is the armor of light. What does light do? Light always exposes darkness. You know, darkness doesn't defeat light. Light always, I mean, light always exposes darkness, if you think about it. Darkness can never defeat light. I mean, if you, I mean, that's kind of hard to comprehend, but... Darkness can never defeat light. Light always... I mean, if you turn a light on in a room, the darkness is defeated. It's gone. It's just, it just is. Okay? There's no darkness switch that you can turn on that makes the light not of none effect. That's kind of a deep thought. You know? But that's why they named an element after me. I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah, they named an element after me. I was, I was at a chiropractic conference a few years ago, and I used to, um, when, I, when I first got into chiropractic college, all I did was study. Because I didn't know anybody, I was really intimidated, I was up in Atlanta, and there was all these, I don't know, I was, I was intimidated. And I got up there, and um, there was this guy that I used to uh, tutor, I was, I was actually tutoring, I, I was tutoring um, inorganic and organic chemistry, which is very hard, nasty, mathematical stuff. And, um, I mean, I was making straight A's and everything. I was, I was, that was probably the most I'd ever put myself into my studies my whole life. And, um, there was this guy tutor, his name was Eddie, and I saw him at an FC, uh, a convention, I don't know, four or five years ago, and he comes up and he says, Scott Johnson. He says, this man's so smart, and they named an element after him. <laughs> I said, I forgot all about that, you know, it was, it was funny, but it wasn't that, I wasn't, I wasn't that like that, but I thought it was funny. Um, so, but no, there, there's an element called Einsteinium. And they named it after Einstein. Did you know that? There's actually an element on the periodic table. The periodic table is the table of all the elements. And there's actually an element named Einsteinium. So Eddie said, Eddie always said, oh, I'm going to name an element after you called Scott Johnson. <laughs> I just thought it was funny more than anything else. It was ridiculous, you know. Um, but, um, I always thought, I mean, not many know, not many people know there's an element called Einsteinium. It always intrigued me. So anyway, um, I don't know how I got off on that, but, um, so let us put on the armor of light. So again, light always defeats darkness, always. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and in drunkenness, not in chambering in wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus... Now it says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Well, that's pretty tough to do in today's day and age, making no provision for the flesh. Uh, I think that would also go along with um, fleeing even the appearance of evil. Um, 
because when you make provision provision for the flesh, which means you give the flesh an opportunity, you provide the flesh an opportunity to be fulfilled, um, then it's a logical conclusion that the next thing that will happen is then you will end up acting that thing out and then you will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's what ends up happening. So, um, yeah, you got to be careful on that. So then we go to verse 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubt, doubtful disputations. For one that believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Wow, it says here the ones that the one that eats herbs is the one that's actually weak. Well, I just went through a lot this week with this hallelujah diet thing and, and um, dealing with that issue. And this guy, this Christian guy who's the head of Hallelujah Acres, and he says that, you know, hey, I'm biblical, this is the only way to eat, you got to be a strict vegetarian, you got to juice. Now, number one, show me in the Bible where, where it commands us to juice our fruits. Well, where's the juice tree in the Garden of Eden? Let's just be logical. There is no juice tree in the Garden of Eden. I don't have a problem with orange juice, okay, or something like that. But the bottom line is, God did give us the whole fruit to eat. So when you juice 30 pounds of carrots and consume a 16-ounce glass of carrot juice, you would have never eaten 30 pounds of carrots on your own. Well, that's what he's advocating. Juice, eat all your fruits raw. Now, hey, there's a lot of wisdom in eating raw fruits and vegetables. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. There's a lot of wisdom in eating organic. I'm not saying a lot of people haven't been helped through this particular diet. But when you go from eating, you know, cookies, cakes, candies, everything processed, everything deep fried, to a to a diet of um, raw fruits and vegetables, sure you're going to do and feel better. No doubt about it. But I still don't believe it's biblical because there's no meat involved. You can't eat meat. No. You know why they say you can't? Because how could you eating something dead, Nonetta, ever be good? How could something dead give life? That's what they say. Yeah, that's what they say. And you know how they, they, you know how they lock you into it? This is like a cult. You know how they get you? The same argument I just brought up about how, how could a rock, how could we have evolved from a rock? How could we, who are living beings, evolve from something that was dead? And they say the same thing about the foods we eat. If we eat these, these terrible animals that have been slaughtered, and they're dead, and their their flesh is dead. How could that ever give us bring forth anything good in our bodies? See how subtle Satan is. But you know something? Didn't Jesus go to Passover and they had the Passover lamb? Oh, Jesus doesn't sound like a strict vegetarian. Didn't he turn the loaves and fishes? Didn't he multiply the loaves and the fishes? Well, if the fishes weren't good to eat, why did he multiply them? I don't ever remember seeing when Jesus went and sat down with the tax collectors and all these other people that they had strict vegan, vegetarian meals set before Jesus. Well, Jesus is the standard, isn't he? That's my argument. Here's another argument. I get fired up when, when I talk about this because I, 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 I hate when somebody comes under the guise of being a Christian and deceives other people. And I just quoted this verse earlier, but I'm going to read you the whole thing. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, that's where we're living, right? Now what Spirit is this? Again, it's a capital S. Capital S, Holy Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What faith is this? The faith of of Jesus Christ, of this book, this faith. And what are they going to do when they depart from the faith? They're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Well, that's what's happening in the church. That's what's happening with all this new age junk that we're being exposed to. Well, no, I just decided to do it on my own. I just felt like it was something that I was led to. Who led you there? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? That's what the Bible says. Well, you can't see those seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. No, you can't. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I don't care if it seems fair. It's just the way it is. But they're being deceived by these invisible demonic entities. That's what's going on here. Oh, but we can't talk about this in the churches. Oh, no. No, this is too militant. It's too scary. I had... That's right. That's right. That's another That's another verse you could quote to these people. You know, it's like they strain at gnats and swallow camels. Yes, if all we had were the book of Genesis to go by, I would have to agree with this guy at the Hallelujah Diet. I re- oh, actually, not, no. Not even the whole book of Genesis. Because when Noah got off the ark, then it was okay to eat meat. He stated it clearly. So, what, like, when is this? Like, the first, um, my word, first four chapters of Genesis? If I only had the first four chapters of Genesis to go by, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with the Hallelujah Diet. I'd, Hallelujah Acres Diet. But, you notice that we got a thousands of more pages beyond that. What do these guys do? Now, I haven't, I, I watched about half the DVD because I told the lady I would. Because I want to see. I want to I be able to give an answer for the hope that's within me. And I also want to know Satan's devices, okay? And this guy seems so genuine and so sincere, and he's got all these people testimonies, and, oh, I lost 30 pounds, and I did this, and I did that. And, and you know, I, I tell people, I said, the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems I have with this is that you have a cancer patient, you put them on the Hallelujah Diet, and they're, they're, they're consuming that carrot juice by the glass. That's pure carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are what feed cancer. Um... They don't really know what to say about that. And I'm not just saying that. That's Otto Warburg, two-time Nobel Prize winner in medicine, said that. Said that cancer has to live in an environment where glucose is present. Glucose is the byproduct of carbohydrate metabolism. Has to. That's what feeds cancer. One of the things, and a lack of oxygen promotes it. And there's other things that you can do also. But two-time Nobel Prize winner, that's what he won the Nobel Prize for. I think he must know something. So, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, when you have your conscience seared, you can't receive truth anymore. You can't receive it. You, can, you, 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 you tell people truth and it bounces right off them. Why? Because their conscience is seared with a hot iron. Can't get in anymore. Their heart is hardened. Now, let's read what it says then. Verse 3. Forbidding to marry. Hmm. What did we just hear about that at? Catholic Church? Forbidding to marry? Celibacy? Oh! wonder what the Catholics do with that one. And commanding to abstain from meats. Well, that word meats just means food. Well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Let's look at the context of the verse. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Verse 4. For the creature of God is good. Now we're, we're defining what the word meats here means in this particular context. Because sometimes meat just meat does mean food in the Bible. But you have to look at the context. Here it says, we're, we're, we're talking about abstaining from meats. 
which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them. Now we know God creates all creatures, right? Okay? Giving of them which believe and know the truth. Oh, the truth. Here we go to the truth again. The truth. The truth. How important is the truth? It's very important. For the cre- for every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. Now, I do also believe we need to exclude blood from that scenario, because he did say blood is an eternal commandment for all generations. And even it says that in the New Testament, you abstain from blood. Okay? So blood is the one discounted thing. You know, we'd be sitting there drinking a glass of blood and said, oh, the creature is good, and everything to be accepted, toast and bloody glasses. That's disgusting, but... Anyway, so if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So, these guys in the hallelujah died, I think they got a big problem with that. You know, but they, I, you know, I haven't read his book yet. I do know a lady, uh, actually one in the church called me this week, and she, you know, this lady that I treat, actually it's not her, it's her husband more than anything. She, they got more money than they know what to do with. They, they're, they're rich, just about beyond anything I've ever seen. And, that woman doesn't have a submissive bone in her body. And uh, I pity her husband. But they got tons of money. And when she, gets her, when she gets her mind set on something, I can get through to her. Because I have a strong enough personality and I know about these things enough where I can get through to her. I had to totally try to convince her not to do urine therapy. That was the last time I had to. Christians. Well... It works for the Hindus. Oh yeah, urine therapy, that's great. Based out of tantric yoga. Which is one of the worst tenets of Hinduism. I had to, The other day I had to talk her out of acupuncture. I said, I, said uh, I don't want to say her name, but I said, you know, you know, it's based out of Taoism. Which is yin-yang, fire and ice. It's one more religion, it's going to take a lot of people to hell. When those needles come over here from Korea, they have Shinto and Hindu priests that bless the needles. What does that mean? They're putting a curse on them. It's like adopt a demon. Get your needles, get your devils, and plant it into you. Come one, come all. That's what you're doing when you get acupuncture. I am a board-certified acupuncturist out of the University of Miami. I have my degree in it. I have my state licensing in acupuncture. I don't advertise it ever, 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 ever. I tell very few people that. So, I won't do it. And there's just a lot of junk out there right now that, that people are being deceived about. So, um, if we go a little bit further, so, for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. The Bible says, you can do it, okay? You can do it. You can be a vegetarian. I'm not saying you, you could, you, like, if you're a vegetarian, you're damned to hell. But, you got to be really, really careful, because it does say in 1 Timothy 4.1, that, these people are the ones that command to abstain from marriage and also abstain from meat. And it says these are the same ones that are at least giving as an example, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then it talks about these two classifications, commanding to a married and commanding to abstain from meats. So, I'm not saying that you couldn't be a vegetarian and go to heaven because it does say here, the one who is weak eateth herbs. But you know something? It's not biblical. It's not biblical, and it's a dangerous position to be in, because chances are, you're being seduced by doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. All you got to do is look at 1 Timothy 4.1. So be careful. Um, another who is weak eateth herbs. Now, the reason they say is weak 
because he herbs because he feels as though that's the right thing to do. But there's no biblical precedence for it. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Now when the Bible says do not judge, it's always judging in a hypocritical fashion. That is the kind of do judge not lest ye be judged. Because it says it in all other places, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. Um, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of different commandments that, um, that were set forth where we should judge matters. But it's not hypocritical looking down our nose at other people type of judgment, okay? But when it comes to me judging my own life and judging what I'm going to put in my mouth and what I'm not, I should be able to judge that. We judge every day. Every single thing we do, we judge. You know, I mean, you couldn't survive unless you judged constantly. Taylor, you want some coffee? You look a little, okay, perky up maybe a little. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, so, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, this is a lot of where these Messianic Jews try to shove down our throats that we have to celebrate the feast days still. A lot of these feast days are evil that the Jews celebrate. Tammuz? What's up with that? It's one of the days of one of their feast days. I mean, they, they got some evil stuff they're doing. Um, so, again, we're not bound by the law in this dispensation. Nobody's going to tell me different because the Bible's very, 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 very clear. Unless they could show me this means something that it doesn't. Or convince me. I don't see how they're going to persuade me. Let every man be fully, fully persuaded his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Now, also you can fast to the Lord, and you eat not when you fast. I think in here it's talking about specific foods that you're eating. But, you got to be careful. If you want to be a vegetarian, I'm not saying you couldn't be a Christian vegetarian, but if you go around commanding to abstain from meats, forming a doctrine based out of that, like Hallelujah Diet's doing, then you're espousing doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. You've crossed the line. It's one thing if you want to do it, and you keep to yourself about it, and you feel at peace about it, or whatever. Maybe your body type, maybe your type A blood, and you do better with fruits and vegetables, because t people that have type A blood typically will do better with fruits and vegetables. The reason is, somebody that has type A blood has less hydrochloric acid in their stomach, and they have a harder time breaking down protein. I can understand that, okay? I'm not going to condemn anybody for that. But don't be going around in, in, in developing doctrine and in establishing your own little cult. And again, we have to have a balance here. Yeah. The best type of blood. There's there's advantages to every, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the blood of Christ. Yeah. I'm I'm type B. 
and that's about 10% of the population. Um, I, you, you probably B, you might be B. B is just a blood type. There's AB, there's AB negative, AB positive. AB negative is like the rarest. Type O is the most common. And every every blood type has different physical attributes. What's A negative? Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, for okay. So then, verse seven. Oh, let me just read this real quick. Um, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. This is verse 7. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the living, uh, of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, and again, we have to have the fine line of judging here. Because somebody will read that and say, Oh, I can't judge nothing now. Well, you know something? That's how all the apostasy comes in the church. And the Bible's very clear. Purge out the old leaven. Oh, well, they had to judge to purge out the old leaven. So see, you've got to be really careful with this stuff. Because you don't want to get... You could read this and build a doctrine off this and build your own little cult. And you know, you, and, and that's what everybody does now. Judge not lest you be judged. You know what that gives the, the preachers a right to do? They, they can go in their own little congregations and have their own little pet doctrine and do and live whatever way they want to live and it's okay because you can't judge. You can't judge. Oh, you're judging, brother. You have no right. Especially, you don't have a judge to write a, uh, you don't have any right to judge an elder. I'm an elder. I'm, I, I went to the cemeteries. I got training. You know? I mean, you, who, what right do you have to me? I'm more spiritual than thee. I'm holier than thou. That's, that verse comes out of the Bible. I'm holier than thou. That, that's in uh, Isaiah 66. Let's talk. Let me read that. I like that verse. I don't know how I'm getting off on these tangents, but I'm just going to go with it. Last chapter of Isaiah. Um, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? It's verse 1. Where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. This is the man whom God looks, right here. Hmm, let's look. Even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit. Now in the King James Bible, if you, if you, you wanted to... Um, Rightly divide the word of truth and define words. Many times those words are repeated in a different context in the same verse. A poor and a contrite spirit are basically the one and the same thing. What does poor and contrite mean? That means humble. That's what those words mean. Contrite means humble. Poor means humble. I don't mean a poor man. He got no money in the bank. Humble man and trembleth at my word. Whoa! What are the two things that we kind of always end up talking a lot about? Fear of God and humility. Oh, well, it says right here, to this man will I look. Do you want God to look to you? Hmm. Him that is a poor and contrite spirit, humble before the Lord. Now, if you're humble before the Lord, you're going to tremble at his word. That's going to be a natural byproduct. 
Trembling at my word implies fear of God. Maybe we should pray for these things. Huh. He that killeth an ox, is it... Now, I don't even understand what this all means here. Um, he that killeth an ox is, is as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices the lamb as if he cutteth off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, now this is what, what he's talking about here is, is when you get to the end here. Yea, they have all chosen their own ways. Their own ways. That's what, that's what when I talk about pastors that have their own pet doctrine in the pulpit and all these apostate churches, they're all chosen their own ways. They're, they're, they're not doing it God's way. They're not seeking the old paths. Wherein is the good way? Yea, they've all chosen their own ways. Kind of sounds like the book of Judges, where every man did that was right, was in his own eyes. And that never turns out good. And their soul delighteth in their abominations. They, have, they delight in abominations. These, this apostate church delights in their abominations of Christian rock, of false Bible perversions, of all these things that are going on. Charismania. I will also choose their delusions. God says, I will choose their delusions. Ooh, doesn't that sound like he's going to turn them over a reprobate mind? Does it sound like what we just read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it says, I will send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie? It says here, I will also choose their... God even chooses the delusions. And they thought they chose their own delusions. They were very, sadly mistaken. And I will bring their fears upon them. So see, he lets them have it their way for a while. They get to live in their delusional state for a while. Then he's going to bring their very own fears upon their own heads. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. Whoa, is this another indictment how important it is to live and operate in truth? I mean, now hold on. When God speaks, does he speak false or does he speak truth? There's things that are implied here that's good to read between the lines because when he speaks, he only speaks truth. He, he says, I am God, I cannot lie. So it's very, very important to seek truth. And not only to seek truth, but to hear it. But it says, when I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes and chose that which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord. Ye that tremble at his word. That, that's the only one this verse is even applying to. This verse doesn't apply to anybody but he that trembles at his word. How many people tremble at God's word anymore? So this verse probably applies to 90, um, you know, 0.000001% of the world right now. This verse doesn't apply to very many people. That's why this Bible doesn't make a lot of sense to a whole lot of people when they try to read it. Number one, they're not even saved. They don't tremble at his word. And if you don't tremble at his word, well, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. Hmm. It's the beginning of knowledge. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. So, there's a lot of connotations and connections between you embracing truth and you understanding and walking in truth and the fear of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you. Oh, I think we're hated here in this room probably now in the churches. All kind of gossip going up. You know? That cast you out of mine 
out for my namesake. Now, we really voluntarily walked out of these things. Okay? But I guarantee you, had we kept continuing taking a hardline stance in the churches we were in, rep, uh, respectively, we would have eventually been cast out. We just chose to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Wherefore, come out from among her and be not partakers of her plagues. I think there's another spiritual application there too. It says then, it says, um, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. Hold on, there was a verse here that I wanted to get into. Here it is. It's chapter 65. Um, a, let's just start at verse 3. No, verse... Verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good. Now this is primarily in reference to the Jewish nation. Okay? They were rebelling against God even before Jesus got here. Yes, they did reject Jesus, but they were, they were rejecting him all the way up to this point too. Okay? That's why it says, I am found of them that sought me not. Well, that would have an application to the Gentile nations and praise God. Blindness in part is happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So that last Gentile saved, blindness in the part is going to be for the Jew. So this is a people, speaking of the Jews, a people that provoketh me to anger, continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens, and burneth incense upon the altars of brick. Now, we've really turned into that, here, in this country. Yeah, the Jews are still being blinded, but you know something? We're no better than this, and, and, and particularly in America. That's what we're doing no better. What, what are, what are, what's another... In, uh, okay, so they burneth incense under the altars of brick, which remaineth among the graves, and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh. You know, that's why I'm not a big eater on pork. I'm sorry, but it says, which eat swine's flesh. It's not a good thing that's ever talked about positively in Scripture. Yes, the Bible does say, you know, the creature's not to be refused, but still, even from a physical health standpoint, Eating pork is one of the worst things you can put in your body. Period. Which eats swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things in their vessels. They remain among graves. They have they have a um, they have a uh, um, they, they get so bad that they actually are so morbid that they actually want to be in like graveyards and things of that thing. Then in verse five it says, "Which say, stand by thyself. Come now, not near me." For I am holier than thou. Remember that verse I said without the Bible? That's where it comes from. Right there. For I am holier than thou. These people believe, as in Jeremiah 7, as in 1 Corinthians 5, that they're delivered, that they're so holy, that they're actually delivered to do these abominations. That's what they believe. But what, how does God feel about these people? These are a smoke in my nose and a fire that burneth all day. That's how God feels about them. Verse 10. Well, no, verse 9. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, 
and my servant shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks. In the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down, for my people, they have sought me. Now, the Bible says in Hosea 4, it says, it says right here, valley of Achor. It says, and in Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down. It's just a little tidbit here. Christ is the lily of the valley. He's an, that's another way that you can refer. He's the lily of the valley, and he's also the rose of Sharon. It says right here, and Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down. What's the valley of Achor? That's where they stoned Achin. That's why they named it the valley of Achor. Achin's mean, name means trouble. One more little tidbit and I'll end. Um, if we go to uh, Hosea, I get off on these tangents. I, I don't know. It comes over me. Um, Hosea, Hosea, now this is Israel, the adulterous wife to be restored. Verse, Hosea 2, 14, Hosea's wife, um, had basically went and played the whore, played the harlot. And this is, a, this is a spiritual type of Israel. This is what Israel's done. And God's going to have to bring all these chastisements on the, on the nation of Israel in order for them to finally wake up and see. And he's comparing her to Hosea's wife, Gomer, here. Okay, and I don't have time to get into all this. But it says, in verse 14, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Now, this is when he finally gets done dealing with Israel. He finally can get to the point where now he can reason with her after she's been chastened. And I will give her the vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. We just read about the valley of Achor in a positive reference. Well, you would think God would never refer to the valley of Achor in anything positive. I mean, he had to use, to, he had to use it to, um, you know, they had to bury Achor and his, Achor and his whole family there. Everything that he owned. I mean, that was brutal stuff. What, were they stoned there? I believe they're stoned, and then they buried them there. Valley of Acre. The Valley of Acre for a door of hope? Well, it was through the Valley of Acre that they were actually able to go in and really possess the promised land. Had they not repented, because what had happened is, is Achan had came, and he went into to Jericho, and he took the, the talent of silver and the Babylonian garment, and he buried it, and it brought sin into the camp, and then they lost the next battle, and they lost like 27 guys or something. Well, had they not dealt with Achan in the Valley of Achor, then there would be no hope for them in the preceding battles. That's why the Bible says here, I will give the Valley of Achor for a door of hope. One of the best sermons I have ever heard was by Pastor John Weaver, and, that's, and, and he preached on this. A door of hope was the message. It's on a tape. I ought to get you a copy of that. That was when I was going through that super, super, super dark time with, um, with Leslie. And that was when God started showing me about Psalm 64, about praying Psalm 64. Because what Psalm... But see, through God dealing with Achan at the Valley of Achor and stoning him and getting sent out of the camp, they won the preceding battles and they were able to actually go in and take the Promised Land. Had they not done that, they would have never been able to do that, ever. Had they just ignored it. So really, even though the Valley of Achor seems like a horrific event, 
It was the springboard for all the hope that Israel had to go into the promised land. It was that important to get the sin out of the camp. So to get, so it says, I will give thee the valley of Achor for a door of hope. That's what it means. It, it, it is that you derive hope by dealing with sin, by getting the sin out of the camp. And even though it seemed like something very, very brutal, that was the springboard for all this to happen. And it's just ironic that, um, that when you pray Psalm 64, and it says, But God shall shoot them with an arrow, suddenly shall they be wounded, so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord, and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. That's exactly the same thing that happened in the valley of Achor. By God dealing with the wicked, what it does is, is all men will see and fear and declare the work of God. Many will get saved as a result of that fear, just like Ananias and Sapphira dying, a lot of people got saved. A lot of fear fell on, on them. And many people were converted. And then it says, All men will see and fear declare the word. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him and all the upright in heart shall glory. Well, what is that? That's hope. That's hope. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him all the upright in heart shall glory. It's, it's an encouragement to somebody who's biblically discerning. Somebody who's not biblically discerning says, oh, there can't be anything good that ever come out of that. How could he say they could give you the Valley of Achor for a door of hope? Judgment took place in the Valley of Achor in regard to Achor and his family. But through this judgment, deliverance was attained. And that is our door of hope. So that's why I pray so many times that judgment come upon the church. Upon, because people left to themselves... Sinners left to themselves, unsaved left to themselves, if they continue to prosper in wickedness, what hope is there for them? They will never in and of themselves turn and all of a sudden say, I'm just sick and tired of my own sin, I'm going to get saved. It's not going to happen. That's why it's so important. I, I, I believe if God showed me anything, He showed me that. And He showed it to me in the darkest hour of my, my life. Um, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, God, for for all that you've done for us, for all your goodness, for all your mercy. Lord God in heaven, I pray that you do forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed, Lord God, in any way, shape, and form, God, that you would wipe our slate clean. Lord God, I pray, and I know that I am not worthy of thee. And I just humble myself before you, Lord God, under the almighty hand of God, and I pray that you would use the people, Lord God, in this room, Lunetta, Doug and Lisa and Taylor and myself, that your fear would be upon us, that you would be glorified, that your name would be glorified through us, that you would give us the strength and the courage to do whatever you've called us to do. To say, and, and to, Lord God, that you would open the doors that no man can shut, and shut the doors no man can open according to thy will. Lord God, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I do pray to God you would use us and the true remnant body of Christ in an amazing way. Lord God, I think that's going to be necessary. I don't see it being done now to near enough of an extent. But I do believe, God, that right now you have your remnant almost in hiding. Lord God in heaven, you've, you've put them away for the appointed time. And I do believe, God, that those that will submit their wills totally to you will be used in a mighty way. It may be unto their death. But, Lord God, on the other side of eternity, the one millisecond after death is life eternal. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I just pray, God, that you would take away from us anything hindering that process in our own lives. And 
Lord, that you would cleanse us of all sin, you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us according to your word, that we would put on the full armor of God, Lord God, so that we can withstand the wiles of the devil, that we would battle against these princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places, and realize our authority in the body of Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ. For you said in your word, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthen me. That we would boldly become before the throne of grace to make our supplications known, Lord God in heaven, and that Jesus Christ is our heavenly advocate, would intercede, Lord God, on our behalf both day and night, because you said in your word that that's what you do. I praise you, Lord God. I pray, um, Lord God, you bless this upcoming week, the remainder of this month, this year. I pray to God that you would move us and convict us to do exactly as you'd have us do every day of our lives. If there's any major decisions that we have coming up, God, I pray to God that you give us clear mind to be able to discern between right and wrong because there's so much deception, Lord God. And Lord God, apart from me, we're nothing. And I just pray that you would clearly convict us of truth and to operate in truth and have the boldness to go forth and proclaim truth all the days of our life. We love you, Lord God. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.